We're back. We have returned. It is truly a normal episode. The Out of the Box podcast has once again blessed your feeds here during the midst of softball season. We're back in the studio. I'm Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, full of Mudita, sitting to my right. Tom, how are you? Good. It's a day later than usual, but other than that, just a regular-ass podcast. I mean, our normal... You know, Oklahoma's on the road at an SEC team pod would right. have been last night. Sure. But alas, right. Alabama decided to play a game. And so we were there. <laughs> Alabama, uh, like you just said, uh, that we're blessing the feeds, everybody with the podcast, Alabama, bless the people of Birmingham with coming to play a game at Samford. If you were a little girl under the age of 12, you mm. were at Samford last night. Yes, they were all there and wrapped by... Montana Fouts warming up in the bullpen. Did not pitch at all last night. No, still the highlight. More on that, by the way, (laughs) and off the wall. Oh, great. Because there were some comments that popped up last night where I was like, oh, (sighs) some people just don't get it. Yeah. Should we look at our trip around the bases? Please. Okay. We will start at the plate and talk all things Alabama. A lot has happened since our last episode, of course, the South Carolina series, the Samford Midweek. Also, some awesome news for Allie Shipman that we will discuss. And, of course, Stark Vegas. That's where we're going this weekend, Tom. Alabama, Mississippi State coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I will not be there Friday, but fear not, listeners. Tom will be there, and then we will be reunited on Saturday. Time dependent on when that reunion will be because I will have to find a parking spot. Yes, Super Bulldog weekend. So, of course, literally every sport, including football, happening on Saturday. Uh, in Stark Vegas, but we will be there for sure. I, and I always chuckle when people say, Gray's not going to be there. What are you going to do? <laughs> I've done it by myself numerous times. Many times this year. Yeah, that's right. It's, I can handle this it. This week. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. In the last seven days. Double, done... head, double headers and everything. <laughs> then we'll advance to first and, of course, look back at the SEC. Not only what happened over the weekend, but also what we're calling the Super Midweek Tuesday because it was a really important Tuesday across the SEC, not just South Carolina Clemson, but also Arkansas losing to Central Arkansas. So we'll talk all things around the conference and, of course, FGCL Player of the Week. Then we will steal second with our friend from Florida, the All-American, Francesca Anea. You probably heard her on the call during the Florida-Auburn series. I didn't know we had friends in Florida. We do. Well, no. Sid. Well, yeah. You know, she's kind right. of down there. I, I don't count her as a Gator, though. I will say this, though. Because of her job right now with Florida, if you call Sydney Little John Watkins right now, I am outing her on the pod, and she doesn't answer. Mm. Her voicemail concludes with Go Gators. Yeah. And... The second I heard that when I called her a couple weeks ago, yeah, I was like, oh, Sid, you had me in the first half, not uh, going to lie. But <laughs> I mean, I get it. That's who signs the paycheck. So I yeah. understand. It's, it's, it's a, we all understand, but uh, we, we know in the heart it's, it's roll tide. We know where Sid lies. Yeah, exactly. It's, she lives with Bambi. <laughs> anyway, that friend of Florida and friend of ours, Francesca and A will be joining us as we steal second. We're going to talk a lot about the Gators, Tom, and. You were not there for that interview, but we missed you, and we will get all together at some point very soon. I hope some of these guests that I'm not here for the interviews for know that it's not personal. It's just work, <laughs> work, work obligations. Uh, would have loved to have been here, but I'm looking forward to hear that, hearing that interview because there's a lot of stuff going on with Florida. That's it's as it's as up in the air about Florida as I've probably ever seen it at this time 
uh, in my nine years. Which is probably a great transition to when we round third and do bracketology. Where is Florida's position right now? Spoiler alert, not in a spot they've been in in many, many years. Do they? Does the director of ops know how to book a hotel for regionals? I don't know. Because they may have to do it. I mean, traveling right now looks likely. And also, when we go to bracketology, I'm going to look back at the last two years of compiling the bracket and reveal some of the math, because some people might be saying, well, you know, how accurate is this? And we usually compare my last week to what the tournament looks like. And last year I did pretty well, but I went back and I looked at this point in the season, the last two years, how did things shake out compared to the final seed list that we got? How, how much movement is there in right. the final month, basically? Yeah, and so we'll reveal those patterns because I was shocked at how clear a pattern has emerged. Really? So okay. that's coming up when we round third. And then finally, we'll head home. We've got picks. We've got off the wall. And then we will ride off into the sunset and get ready to go to Starkville and weddings and all that fun stuff in Check's Watch two days. <laughs> Let's start at the plate. And first, I want to send a hearty congratulations to Allie Shipman. She is officially Alabama's nominee for the Boyd McCorder Award, which is presented at SEC Spring Meetings each year. That is also during the Women's College World Series. So my hope is Allie will not be able to attend the banquet. She she win the award. Mm -hmm. But this was really kind of a personal nugget for me. The Boy McCorder Award dinner is something that I grew up going to at SEC Spring Meetings, and a lot of Alabama people have won that from Emil Salem to Joseph Sikora to Haley McClenney to, you know, a lot of other Crimson Tide legends. And you know, Bailey Hemphill was nominated for it a few years ago, and just to be nominated means that you are the best scholar-athlete applicant for your entire university on the women's sports side. And I hope Allie wins it. But this was this was really awesome to see her even just nominated for the Boyd McCorder Award. Yeah, she was tapped to be in the 31 a couple weeks ago. And then getting this uh, nomination from the University of Alabama as the top female scholar athlete, uh, really, really impressive. And uh, she's just she brings so much to the team, uh, not just on the field, but obviously off the field. And uh, just great that we got another nerd to talk about. Oh, man, those nerds, Tom, yes. they're everywhere. <laughs> Why won't they stop being nerds? I know. Everyone is just so smarty pants. So from nerddom to gameplay, I guess, I don't know. Let's talk mm. about the South Carolina yes. series. Okay. Just weird, the weather through everything into flux. Again, you know, we preached patience coming into this weekend. Thank you to everybody who showed patience uh, to the people who didn't. Please learn patience if you can. I, I would like to point out, can't control the weather. We if try. It was, if it was up to us, there would not have been a delay, would not have been a postponement, but we can't control the weather. As, as much, much as fun as I had yes. losing at Uno right. against you and SID extraordinaire <laughs> Nathan Sheehan, I could have done without that. Right. I don't care how far you drove to get here, nothing we can do about That's it. That's right. But That doesn't factor into the decision. No, it doesn't. Other. We don't do a poll. <laughs> But Alabama does win the series 2-1. We see Montana just, I mean, I don't don't even know what else to say about it. You know, we've talked about how much of an honor it is to watch her pitch. I don't think we can properly explain how difficult it is to be better against a team the second time you see them, let alone the last two weekends be so much better the second time a team has seen her against Missouri, a complete game shutout in extras, and then against South Carolina, 
a no hitter. They had seen her that weekend, Tom. Yes. And she threw a no hitter. And not only have they seen her this weekend, they've seen her for five years. Yeah, we played you them know. last season. Right. So it's so impressive to watch her go out there and dominate teams. Uh, even when maybe early on in these games, she may be not be pitching at her A-plus best, but to still be able to go out there. And uh, Kaylee Tao was talking about it on the broadcast with me on Saturday. She wasn't even really having to empty the toolbox. Right. She was doing it with two pitches. And the South Carolina offense had nothing, could not figure it out at all. And there were just times where she was able to blow up by them. Uh, she used that drop so efficiently, would bust out the changeup every once in a while, but it was basically rise and drop and had them just, you know, spinning, spinning into the ground, swinging at it. Yeah, that's what's crazy is I saw her rise and her drop be the predominant pitches in two games. There was like one inning where she went a little bit curve and got a couple people looking and then kind of went right back to north and right. south. And it was really amazing. It harkened back to another game, I think, that we Tao and I did together on the TV side because we talked about the same thing. How she was using one pitch to continually bamboozle some of these hitters. And it really does kind of show where her game is right now, not just, you know, in terms of the success, but the comfortability that she has in these specific pitches that she doesn't feel like she has to throw change or throw a ton of curve or throw a ton of runner or all that other stuff Mm -hmm. that she can just use two of the five or six that she has and throw no hitters. When you're watching it, you know, that early on in the season, I think there was a little bit of her and Lance McMahon trying to figure out, you know, the pitch selections and and how we're going to do this. Right. They've really, I think, locked in that <laughs> I think that's that's been a huge you know turning point I think it happened after the Tennessee series you know the only really the only weekend where Montana had two poor outings by her standards other than that you know she's had you know she's taken some losses she's had bad games here and there but there has not been a you know she usually backed it up with a really great performance uh, that Tennessee weekend was the only one where she struggled but after that we have really seen a, t- a corner turned and now it's going to take a tremendous effort offensively to beat her at any point by any of these teams she's left to play in the regular season for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, before we dive into a little bit more about Alabama, I do want to make sure that we touch on the SEC pitcher of the year race, because I think that this is now truly a race. And I think you've got three legit contenders, Ashley Rogers, Montana Fouts, and Maddie Penta, you know, with how she did in the Florida series, I think has, absolutely entered her name into this wider conversation, but you've got Rogers in conference play at a 0.91 ERA, Fouts at 109, Penta at 115, OBA, they're all top five. Innings pitched, Fouts and Penta second and third. Right now, Rogers is in ninth, so we'll see if that right. could be a factor. Strikeouts, all top five. Rogers with five wins, Penta with five wins, Fouts with five wins. So we really are going to see i think one of the more exciting pitcher of the year conversations that we've had in a long time and that is factoring in a year where we literally had a tie right. for co-pitcher of the year in 2021 which i could see that happening again this year i would be cool with three yeah with a three-way tie but i think you know you ha- you've had what you may consider to be uh head-to-head matchups with rogers and fouts you you're gonna have it with fouts and pinta coming up you know there, there's a lot of positives there's a negative for each of them Rogers is going to be the number of innings pitched yep 
And the negatives are sometimes not in the control of the actual pitcher. Right. Rogers innings pitch, you know, she's part of a, a staff, which is actually for Tennessee's benefit as a team. It's going to work out much better, I think, when she's not having to go out there twice a series. Right. Although it may end up being that way at the end of the year. We'll see. Montana Fouts, the losses. She, she has three conference losses. There's not m- more stats that are that, that, the, that the pitcher has little control over than wins and losses. You know, you can go out there and give up one run. If your offense gives you nothing, then you're going to lose one nothing. Sure. So, you know, Montana's got a few losses uh, more than, than what would normally be for the conference pitcher of the year. And, and Penta's then, kind of trailing both of them in everything. It's right. close, but yeah. she's not really first in any category. Right, and she's going to need uh, Auburn, which we'll talk about when we talk about the SEC, uh, Auburn to kind of move up in the standings, Yeah. which Montana Fouts could use that with Alabama too. There's a lot to talk about, and it could be a three-way tie. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. It could just be one defining moment. It could be avoiding the bad game. You know, which of those three can avoid a game where they give up five earned runs? Yeah. And whoever can do that might win the award. We'll see. There's a lot of time left sure, to discuss absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, before we go to the not-so-great stuff on the weekend, some of the hitting stats that I really liked. Ashley Prangy hitting 500. Look at that OBP of 700 in the Ooh. South Carolina series. That's uh that'll that'll work. I'll take it. And yeah. she had a pretty good night in terms of reaching base and getting hits against Sanford as well. Larissa Pruitt, pretty good OBP and batting average against South Carolina. Jenna Johnson, Kenley Kahalen. The offense was, I thought, pretty solid all weekend long. The sure. only time where they faltered was in innings five, six, and seven against Donnie Goborn. For whatever reason, the plan kind of went out the window. Yeah. And they just couldn't touch her. Yeah, that's what and we if we get in get into the the bad portion of the weekend. Saturday's uh, offense in the second half of that game against Goldburn, yeah, I'm not sure what happened because, you know, it got to the point where it seemed like every at-bat, the batter would take two pitches right down the middle and swing at what would have been a ball for strike three. And it was, it was just a pattern over and over again, and it was very, very frustrating to watch because, you know, Montana, you gave Montana – like a good amount mm-hmm. of, of run support when earth, wind and fire is pitching. You need to match that if not do better. Right. And you know, cause pitching was not the issue in game number three. That's not why Alabama lost that game. The offense did not execute very well at all in that third game. Well, and that was what was so frustrating too, is they were, you know, the first three innings yeah. base runners and hits and Alabama was generating things and then it just stopped. And right. You know, those are the kinds of things that can't happen once we get to the Auburns and the LSUs and the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament because you're going to play teams that are better than South Carolina. I want to apologize to South Carolina because I feel like we've been cracking jokes about them for the last two years. They're a much better team this season than they were last year and even better than I thought they were. Yeah, they have reached the point of being middle of the back in the conference. And yeah. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the improvements are clear. Yeah. Offensively, Donnie Goborn is a game changer. I thought their other pitchers have raised their level at least a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, they can go one or two times through the lineup if need be. But this is South Carolina team still that is not the toughest opponent you're going to face the rest of this year. And no. so the issues that we saw this weekend have to be addressed and fixed. Earth, wind, and fire. Jayla Torrance... Alex Salter, Lauren Esman, the other three pitchers. It's tough to evaluate them, even from the Samford game. I thought a lot of them did things well. I thought there were a couple of iffy moments. I think really the biggest focus for those three seems to be free passes. 
not only just not giving up the free passes, but not allowing the free passes to lead to something. You know, we've seen walks and hit by pitches lead to runs coming across when right. those three are in the circle. And again, that's something that can't happen. Yeah, because if you only give up one hit in an inning, that's great. But if you give it up after you've walked two people, right. that means a couple runs probably score. Yeah, so that to me seems like the biggest thing there. I still don't really see anybody hitting any of them super hard with consistency outside of that one Missouri game that I think everybody's just trying to scrub from their memory. <laughs> right. Nobody's just gone out there and flat out hammered Esman, Salter, and Torrance a bunch in a row. No, but in general, you just need just a higher level and better consistency from all three of them. We've sure. seen... You know, especially, you know, Alex Saltzer, what she did at Tennessee. We've seen them pitch at an extremely high level. Uh, we've also seen them have pretty poor outings. So you, you have to find, you know, a middle there and have it be at a consistent at a consistent level to where, you know, you're not asking them necessarily to go out there and throw a shutout. If they do, great. But, you know, you, they need to be able to go and keep the other offense at least at bay. And then the, the off, Alabama's offense has to be as good, if not better, than usual when they're pitching. Yeah, totally agree. Anything you want to touch on from the Samford midweek? Uh, I was very happy to see Alabama get a big hit with the bases loaded. Uh, we did it! Yes, Bailey Dowling comes through. We with, did it, Joe! Yes, we did it, indeed. Um, it was, <laughs> <laughs> That's for like 10 people, right. maybe. But it was hilarious. Uh, but, you know, Bailey Dowling gets the uh, three RBI double to kind of bust it open. Would like to have seen Alabama offensively be able to add more to it, but you know you, you put up six runs in the first two innings and uh, you kind of coast to a victory. I would have loved to have seen more run production in the latter half of the game, but also we saw basically everybody except for Callie Hevlin and Montana Fouts play in the game. Right. So there was really no offensive rhythm. No. And it was kind of hard to generate something when there's no rhythm. Yeah, and that's kind of and that's a little bit what happened going back to the South Carolina game as well, especially game three. It just seemed like there was no rhythm to that game at all. Yeah. There were so many starts and stops and Bev Smith making a change every other at bat and, and you know three th- random balls. Right. Random what? balls being thrown out there, uh people switching around defensively but not taking going out of the game, new catchers in and out. So and I think that might have been actually a strategy, but you know, that I think that's a little bit too, is that you have to be able to establish the rhythm offensively. Um, when it's kind of the strategy of the opponent to not allow you to do so. And maybe it's fitting that we're talking about rhythm ahead of a series in a place called Stark Vegas. Mm. You know, it just all connects. Alabama-Mississippi State coming up this weekend. The cowbells will be a-ringing. Yes, but maybe not for our game. Mm. Maybe at one of the 12 other sporting events (laughs) happening in Starkville. Just a constant ringing going on. (laughs) Great, because that's what I'll need on Saturday. (laughs) Friday, Alabama, Mississippi State at 4 o'clock Central Time. Saturday, 1.30 p.m. Central Time. Sunday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon Central Time. Three games should be fun. The third game is on TV. All three, of course, available on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. As we look ahead to this series, it's an interesting spot. Mississippi State is not playing well right now at all. We have seen Alabama and Montana Fouts be able to have success and really incredible success with the two starts in a row, Mm -hmm. but also with the gap, you know, there was a day that was kind of forced in because of weather, but Montana was still really good the second time around. So I'm not quite sure how the pitching rotation will look and when Montana will pitch, whether it's day one and three or day one and two. I think the biggest question is lineups. 
and it's partially surrounding Callie Hevlin. We saw her move down from the two spot. The offense still wasn't really that great. That was the last game against South Carolina where that really didn't pan out. Uh, I think with Ashley Prangy hitting as well as she is, you've got to keep her up in that two spot. Yeah. But at this point, you just got to find some kind of combination that unlocks the potential for this offense to really put up a big number. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention uh, from the Sanford game, no injury to Kristen White. She's fine. There we go. Uh, so I think that she is, you know, set up to still be the center fielder and be hitting in the nine hole. But you got to figure out, you know, this as it's been seems for the last three or four years, who's going to be in right field? Is Arissa Prude has she locked it down? Um, I think so. I think so too. But I've been wrong many times. Yes, we saw her bat as high as fifth this past, you know, on Tuesday at Sanford. I don't know if she bats that high against Mississippi State. I don't think you make a whole lot of changes other than I think you keep Callie Heflin down in probably seven eight area. I think Callie should just be at the seven. She was great in that spot. I bet if we had the charts for her batting average in each spot in the order, I bet seven is the best. And I would just keep her there. I feel as though her batting second was as beneficial to Ashley Prangy to kind of because she slumped a little bit by yeah. you know by her standards. There was like an yeah. over fifteen stretch in right. there. So to kind of get back to where she is, I, I think I think she's now hitting back uh, at her normal pace. So I think she's fine going back up to the two and Callie at the seven or the eight. Yeah, so I feel pretty comfortable with that. Really what we're talking about is lineup positioning. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty good about the nine. It's just about putting them in an order that will produce a bunch of runs. Yes, because it's very capable of doing it. Yes. Just got to put all those puzzle pieces together. We have seen it happen before. Yes. And hopefully we'll see it again this weekend. It has been done. We have the technology. Yes. And let's just put it in play. Who are we? Huh, who do we want to be this week? And then we talked about Ashley Prangy. Okay, let's be Prang. Sure. It was her senior day. That's right. You know, we got... Power of Prangy, baby. Let's go. <laughs> we got bobbleheads. We got t-shirts. We're ready to roll. Wow. We're yeah. Ashley Prangy. We are. And we are just ripping it out to the outfield and stopping it first with a single here on the show. When we come back, we'll advance to first. What is going on in the SEC? South Carolina Clemson. What happened? We'll talk about it when we return here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back. We put it in play. Thank you, Ashley Prangy. Now it's time to advance to first. All right, here we go. We're going to start with South Carolina Clemson. What a Tuesday night. And it was not the only big game. We'll cover a lot of them in just a bit. But Clemson defeats South Carolina in Columbia 4-3. to We go to the seventh inning. South Carolina leads 2-1. Clemson has one on with two out. But, oh, dear, a four-pitch walk to Mackenzie Clark, FGCL. Sure. Brings up Valerie Cagle. Quick quick reminder, though, earlier on in the game, Mm -hmm. South Carolina had the bases loaded, and the inning ended when a runner left early. That's true. Somehow the bases loaded. I have no idea how that happened. I hope, for everyone's sake, including the umpires, it was egregious. We go to the seventh inning. And Cagle is now coming up. Cagle is up. And the debate begins, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Do you walk her or do you pitch to her? Well, Donnie Goborn, who's in the circle, who we all know very well at this point. She's pretty good. Yeah. Decides to pitch to her. Gets it to a 1-2 count. Now, a reminder, first base is not open. First base is not open. There, There is a base open. Right. 
but first base itself is not open. Anyway, one-two count, Valerie Cagle hits a home run. So the debate does begin. Do you pitch to Valerie Cagle? Should South Carolina have done what they did? Should they have walked her and gone to Caroline Jacobson, who now who knows what would have actually happened had they done that, but the next at bat, she popped out. It's an interesting debate to have. It's something that we have done a lot over the years. You know, we I think of the Kentucky game in 2019 where Alabama walked Abby Cheek a bunch of times to get to Alex Martins, who was hitting 350, but it wasn't the 480 that right. Abby Cheek was hitting. Yeah. So I'll ask you, Tom, would you have walked Valerie Cagle or did South Carolina play it right and just come up on the wrong side? Yeah, because that's the other thing that we always talk about too, you know, a coaching decision just because it doesn't work doesn't necessarily mean it was the wrong decision. I mean, they got to two strikes. You can make the right decision and it still not work out. I don't, I would not have intentionally walked her, but I would not have thrown her anything that she could hit. Here's the thing. We're not just talking about Clemson's best player. We're talking about the current front runner for national player of the year. Possibly the nation's best player. I mean, it's not like you're pitching around a person who is a one-time All-American. No, this is maybe the best player in college softball. Yeah. I would not have let her see a pitch. I would have put the pressure on Caroline Jacobson in that moment, the Duke transfer, and see if she can come through. And if she does, then tip of the cap. Good job, Clemson. But who would you rather have beat you, Valerie Cagle or the person behind Valerie Cagle? The other issue with just walking her outright is that that automatically puts what would have been the tying run at third base. Mm -hmm. So then wild pitches anything sure. anything crazy happens and the game is tied and you and the opponent really hasn't done anything to make it happen uh so that that's the other um the, the other reason why you wouldn't necessarily put her on in that situation without first base being open i don't think the plan was to pitch around her they were trying to get her out because they got her to two strikes yeah Kegel did what she does and then South Carolina hit a home run in the seventh. Right. Lead off solo home run. They get people on. Yeah. But then a double play with interference oh. ends the game. And Clemson wins 4-3. Man. Just tough Yeah. for South Carolina. I mean, think about what Donnie Goborn was a strike away from doing in the last three weeks. And I had the conversation ready when we were talking about it on the radio. In about two and a half weeks, she would have beaten Florida Alabama and Clemson all in complete game victories if she gets that one last strike against Valerie Cagle. Really, really impressive. She has really turned around all of South Carolina. Well, that's what now that's what we talked about is that, you know, they weren't just god awful offensively. They just had to find somebody in the circle that could be an ace. Yeah. Be someone that they could rely on. And she's definitely, you know, become that. And interesting that, you know, she only pitched one time against Alabama. Yeah, and it I makes, wonder if that starts changing. We'll see. It makes South Carolina a team that I don't think I would want to see in a regional, which is not something I would have expected to see to say a month ago. But Donnie Goborn has made South Carolina much more threatening than they were when we were sitting here going into the year 2023. Do they get sent to Clemson? Ooh. Oh no. Nah. Oh no. Maybe it's possible. We'll see. Oh, committee, <laughs> don't do it. Send them somewhere fun right. and not two hours right. away or whatever. I think you know Tal. It depends. You know Tallahassee would be a possibility. They, I think the last time uh, they were in the tournament, they went to Tallahassee. Yeah. You know, I hope they're maybe one of the ones that get sent maybe out west and, and they get to play somebody that doesn't know what they have and maybe pulls the upset. That would be fun. 
we're on board. Yeah. Get him, Bev. Let's go. All right. Continuing on with the SEC, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, there were other games. There were. Last night, including Arkansas losing to Central Arkansas for the second time this year. A shutout victory for Sugar Bear pitcher Caleb Beaver. Wow. Four zip your score. That comes on the heels of Arkansas losing a series at home against Georgia. The dogs took the first two games, and if not for a Hannah Gamble solo home run in the sixth and a Kylie Halverson solo home run in the seventh, dogs might have swept. So Arkansas is in a weird position right now, and it just overall has not been a good seven days for Courtney Dyfel's squad. Yeah, rough time for Arkansas, and I think the most intriguing question out of all this is where does this put Central Arkansas with a possibility of being in a regional host conversation? Because you know, I know we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in bracketology, but my goodness, that they have a case. All you can do is beat the teams on your schedule, and Central right. Arkansas has done that against the Razorbacks. And, I mean, they, they scheduled Arkansas twice, a home-and-home, and, home, and they beat them twice. I know head-to-head is not the be-all, end-all, but surely it's a conversation. This is a it's case in. where it's. I think it's going to be discussed. The question is, will they have a need to discuss it depending on other profile things Right. with Central Arkansas? We'll look into that. Mm-hmm. For Georgia, pitching was really good this weekend. I think that really kind of establishes Georgia because there's still, I think, some questions with the Bulldogs, but the fact that they went on the road, a tough place to play in Fayetteville, um, and to take that series, and like you said, just being really close to getting a sweep against Arkansas, uh, I think they've they've kind of, like I said, established themselves now. Yeah. Shelby Walters, a two-hit shutout. We saw Kylie Macy pitch really well. So, you know, we talked about that two-week test at Arkansas, at Florida, two weekends in a row. Just won the series at Arkansas, Florida coming up this weekend. So, first test pass. We'll see about the second one. Yeah, pulling a, a, a shutout. In game two, maybe the most impressive thing out of the bunch. Not easy to do. No. Speaking of Florida, they do get some momentum back against Auburn, win the first two games. The Tigers bludgeon the Gators in game three, seven nothing after Samantha Bender gets the start and does not make it out of the first inning. Lexi Delbray tried to stop the bleeding, but she just isn't there yet to to go essentially complete against an SEC team. Big wins for Florida, but I actually leave this series unchanged about the Gators in terms of vibes and Auburn. Uh, just a couple missed chances, but I thought they played pretty well. It keeps Florida basically afloat. Mm-hmm. Uh, had they lost that series to Auburn, it might have been, you know, the, the the end of it as far as it any discussion of hosting a regional and being a top 25 team. And that's, that's still, that's one of the more controversial takes right now is whether or not Florida is actually a top 25 team right now. Just snuck back in our D1 poll this week. Right. It was very close. Yeah, and that is certainly not a spot that the Gators are normally in. And then, like you said, for for Auburn, I I think it's a little bit telling for Auburn that, you know, they they could have had Florida on the ropes based on what had happened the last couple of weeks. Auburn was playing pretty well Mm. um, and not being able to win that series. That's hurtful for the Tigers. It's not good for their profile. Right yeah. now, Auburn is not on the page. Spoiler alert for Bracketology. When when would they have had a better chance to win a series in Gainesville than this year? That's true. I mean, that's a that's a very good point. Penta, still really good. But, yeah, you know, like, like I said, it feels like a missed chance for Auburn, and they will have more coming up for sure. sure. But yeah. this was a really good opportunity to get a crucial series win 
considering where they are in the SEC standings, and they couldn't get it. Mm. Kentucky, still no Stephanie Schoonover, so that begs the question, who's pitching? Who's pitching? Everybody else. <laughs> and they're just trying yes. to shut down people, including raises eyebrow Ole Miss, who scored in this series with Kentucky 17 runs. I'm not sure if Ole Miss had 17 runs in conference play prior to this weekend. Total. Yeah. So I think that that tells you a little something about the others behind Schoonover. This is not a hot take. Kentucky needs Stephanie Schoonover if they want to be a dangerous SEC team throughout the rest of conference play and once we get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, the uh, the take of if you lose your best pitcher, you're not as good. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. That's I the way mean, that goes. And we're uh, we are seeing it a little bit more drastically, though, than sure. I thought. I mean, we were sharing the Ole Miss offensive conference play numbers before this weekend. It Ooh. was bad. Yeah. And their batting average in SEC play went up like 50 points after this weekend. That, I think a little bit of that is maybe, you know, aggression to the mean instead of regression. I think all, I mean, Ole Miss isn't as bad as they were hitting entering that weekend. Uh, but also, if there was a weekend that Kentucky could skid by and get a series victory without Stephanie Schoonover, it would have been probably Ole Miss. And they just, you know, they were fortunate that it, uh, it landed on that part of the schedule for them. And maybe, Tom, we've already got our SEC Player of the Year pick. I did not realize how in command Aaron Koffel was of all these conference stats. First in batting average by 40 points. First in slugging by 20 points. First in OBP by 140 points in <laughs> conference play. First in runs scored. Second in RBIs. First in doubles. I think just outside in home runs. First in walks by seven. Like, this is as commanding a midseason case as we've seen in the last few years. Normally it's tight and then somebody pulls away. Aaron Koffel is going to have to come back to the pack if somebody else wants to win SEC Player of the Year. Yeah, and, th- and there's plenty of time for that to happen. There's still, you know, four series left. So we'll see if she's able to continue this, uh, this hot pace that she's put out there. But really impressive totals as it stands right now. But... We're only a couple of weeks away from just assuming Kiki Malloy was going to win the thing. So it's true. Uh, it's, I don't think that's a reason why they don't give away these awards in uh, in early April. But she's definitely in the driver's seat. That's for sure. LSU wins the battle of the Tigers with Missouri. Missouri won Game One. Actually, you know, really impressive victory mm-hmm. for the Tigers there. And then LSU wins Game Two, Three, One, and then kind of blows it open in just, Game Three. Just great to see Missouri find the offense. Yeah. There. Yeah. You're just welcome. Got it on track. <laughs> right. We did it. Yes. We did it, Joe. Uh, indeed. But then, how about LSU's performance last night against Oklahoma? 3 nothing win for the Sooners, but OU just had two hits. All three of those runs were unearned. LSU pitching did really well. Uh, we'll talk more about OU in just a bit in terms of, you know, if you give yeah. them an inch, they take a mile. But I thought, all things considered, LSU played really well last night. They did, and they had opportunities in the sixth and seventh inning, too, yeah. and, and weren't able to come through. But... Uh, to hold Oklahoma to three runs, really impressive. You know, getting the series victory over Missouri after losing game one, uh, winning game three in run rule fashion. They're legitimate. LSU is a legitimate team at the top of this uh, conference standings. Still, LSU played well start yeah. to finish. There were never really any falters except for that little error barrage there. in the second. Right. Well, and that's, you know, we talked about on the broadcast last night in, on uh, during the Sanford game that – if you commit an error against Oklahoma, just walk off the field. The game's over. 
because uh, we talked about we have never seen a team that can immediately turn a mistake into runs runs come in automatically mm-hmm. if you if you commit an error if they don't run. score on the error right the next batter will hit in the player who reached via the error 100% more often than not with a home run yes <laughs> going to uh, points off turnovers yeah. that's basically what it is whenever you play Oklahoma you have to play uh so clean to have the shot to beat them yeah, and even then, you have to right. do it to have a shot. Right, yeah. Which you can have zero errors and they can still win yeah. <laughs> very easily. But for you to have a chance to pull the upset, you you have to play incredibly clean. You can't give them any extra outs. Yeah, and LSU blinked once, and that was pretty much all it took. Yeah. Texas A&M sweeps Mississippi State in the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. Not a ton here. The biggest thing for me here was A&M's pitching was really strong. Otherwise, I mean – Sweeps aren't really run of the mill, but it was kind of a run of the mill sweep. Yeah, I mean, you know, going on the road at College Station is tough if you're not playing well, and State wasn't, and A&M is. I think if it's not South Carolina, Texas A&M, as we talked about with the midseason boxes, the most surprising team so far here in the conference play. It's hard to say just holding serve to getting a sweep, but that's kind of what they did. But it also keeps them, you know, where they are in the standings. Not only getting a sweep, but uh, like you said, pitching wise. Able to hold a team to three total runs in a series, uh, regardless of what the offense is, impressive. Yeah, and I've got some nuggets on Mississippi State that I'll be saving for the broadcast this weekend. So oh, good. Tune in. Sweet. Last team to talk about, Tennessee. Oh. Drops two to Baylor, one nothing and 8-5. Yeah, interesting to, to be reading the comments and Tennessee people saying, is it time to fire Karen Weekly? Can't believe that. <laughs> I was like, do you realize what has happened this year? The revitalization that has come about right. in your program this season. And by the way, Baylor, not a scrub. They've beaten Oklahoma this year. You know who else has beaten Oklahoma, Tom? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> not, no other team. <laughs> Oklahoma's played like everybody, right. and only Baylor has yes. beaten them this year. So uh, a little bit of an overreaction. Obviously a disappointing performance, but, uh, I mean... It's non-conference, it doesn't, you know, I'm sure there were some, you know, people being held out if they had any any nagging injuries, those type of things. So I wouldn't read too much into your, if you're Tennessee, especially considering what they yeah. did on Tuesday. If you were worried, yes. those Maybe. worries should be assuaged. Right. Buttress, if you will. Yeah, good word. <laughs> Thank you. Assuaged. 11 nothing in five innings, Tennessee defeats Virginia mm. Tech in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech needed a buttress. Oh, they my did gosh. Not. What they needed was Emma Limley to yes. stop giving up hits. What is happening? I don't know, man. Alabama's given up 20 home runs as a staff this year. Emma Limley alone has given up, like, 24. And the 20 seems like a lot for yes, Alabama. It is. Yeah. I don't understand it. Good on Tennessee to figure their things out on the road in an atmosphere that I'm sure was rocking and rolling. Tennessee's just fine. You know, the two games against Baylor, weird stuff happens. Weather was odd. Schedules were changing. That game at Virginia Tech feels much closer to what the Lady Vols are this year. And by the way, also, even though you did get beat by twice by Baylor, you did no-hit Mercer that that weekend as well. Oh, our Bears. I'm sorry, all the Bears. They, uh... mm. De Beers. I will uh, credit Mercer with playing quite the schedule, but woo, they, they've mm. had they've had some tough run-ins. Tell you what, they are prepared for SoCom play, <laughs> they Tom. Will, they will be ready to go. Yes. 
Okay, are you ready to go to the FGCL Player of the Week? Alrighty. Let's do it. Here are the nominees for this week. We've got a hefty, hefty list. I feel like we saw half the league at Samford this, you know, yesterday. We pretty much did. <laughs> Their SID kept looking at us like, why do you know so much about our players? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Here are the nominees. Abby Hughes, Georgia Tech, 5 for 9, 7 RBIs, 2 home runs, a double, 5 walks, a strikeout, and 3 runs scored. MVP Claire Davidson from Duke. At the plate, three for nine with a run scored. In the circle, five innings, no hits, no runs, no earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. That was all part of a combined no-hitter against Elon. The team, not the musk. KK Madry, Liberty, seven of 13, three RBIs, a walk, a strikeout, and six runs scored. Morgan Smith from Rutgers. Again, we got a little double trouble action here. In the circle, 12 and a third innings, 12 hits, 7 runs, 6 earned, 10 walks, and 11 strikeouts. At the plate, 4 of 14, 2 RBIs, 5 walks, a K, and a run scored. In Game 2 against Maryland, had a walk-off 2-RBI single in the 7th to win 4-3. And if not for a couple one-run losses to Ohio State on the weekend side, this was during the midweek, Rutgers would be in a legitimate bubble position. They're right now kind of on the wrong side of 70 in the RPI, but Tom, you'd be surprised at where the Scarlet Knights are in some of the prognostications at this point. Yeah, and that's something we talked about actually on the bus ride going up to Sanford is that the Big Ten, pretty good. Yeah, it's much deeper than we thought. Yeah. So Rutgers, legit, I would love to see them in the NCAA tournament. That would be huge for them. Possible WNIT of softball winners, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. What tournament is that? I don't know. It's literally called the NIT of softball, I think. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Riley Olson, Florida Atlantic. Three for eight, two RBIs, a homer, a double, a walk, a strikeout, and a run scored. Game one against Florida International. So you've got Atlantic versus International. Good little rivalry. Had the walk-off in the 10th to win 2-1. Then game two against FIU. Riley Olsen had a solo home run in the fifth in the one nothing victory. So basically won the series yes. for Florida Atlantic. All by herself. Mackenzie Wagner, North Texas. Again, double trouble. Eight innings, six hits, four runs, two earned, one walk, and seven Ks. At the plate, three for seven, four RBIs, a strikeout, and two runs scored. Game two against UTEP. Not only got the complete game victory in the circle, but also drove in four of the six runs scored by the Mean Green in a 6-4 win. A necessary job at the plate by Mackenzie Wagner. Indeed. Finally, Allie Light, San Diego State, 10 innings, 6 hits, 1 run it was earned, 4 walks, and 6 strikeouts. Hmm. It's a tough list. It is. You got a lot of people who did a lot of things in a lot of areas of the game. <laughs> I am going to go for the clutchness and the rivalry factor, Riley Olson from FAU, and uh, for doing it unicorn fashion, we'll go Mackenzie Wagner, uh, North Texas. Tom, I'm going to show a little love to the unicorns, to the pitchers. I don't think we've had a ton of pitching winners, so I'm going to flash the mean green sign into the sky. Our FGCL Player of the Week is Mackenzie Wagner. All right. Good job. Complete game victory. You do it on the offensive side, too. We love to see it. And shout out to all the nominees and all of the hitting pitchers that we had nominated this week. That that was as many as I can recall yeah. ever in the history of the show. <laughs> uh, okay, Tom. Shall we get the sign and take off? Yes. Indeed. Slide headfirst. Don't leave early. No. 
Oh boy, mm. that's a whole other topic. It is. Okay, it's time to steal a second. We come back, Francesca Inea, the Florida All-American, will be here. We're going to talk all things Gators, Auburn, Georgia, Missouri, a little bit of Alabama because that's what we do. All of that when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast, and it's time to steal second. Tom is not here, but I am with one of our favorites who we saw at regionals last year and who is making her Out of the Box Podcast debut. You know her as one of the voices on the Florida Softball SEC Network Plus broadcasts, but of course you probably know her as the All-American for the Florida Gators. It's Francesca Inea. Fran, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on this podcast. I feel like I've made it for finally being here. Well, I mean, you know, we talked so much at regionals and I was like, well, shoot, we have to have you on. And then we were kind of playing podcast schedule tag, but we made it work. It's uh, I just need to let everyone know that it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. It is not gray. You try so hard to get me on here. I'm always have all these silly excuses. So thank you so much for your patience with me. Well, and a strong start paraphrasing Taylor Swift. So well done. (laughs) We've got to talk about the Florida Gators, Fran. It's been an interesting year. Right now, as we look at it, Florida would not be a host for the NCAA tournament, which is almost unfathomable. Based on what you've seen from Florida this entire year, and you've called a lot of their games and watched more, I'm sure, where do you feel like this team stands in the SEC and on the national stage? Yeah, I mean... I feel like Florida is very similar to how Alabama is looked at, where if they're not the most dominant team in the country that year, then everyone believes that the program has fallen off, it's gone off course, and it's time to fully panic. Um, I I don't feel like it's time to panic for Florida. I feel like every single program um, at some time or the other um, maybe fall off like that top podium, uh, and it stinks when it happens to your school and your team. Um, But that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Um, I would just say that Florida, when I look at them, they look like the majority of every other team outside of the top 10. And that is depending on who's going to show up that day, they can beat a team or they can lose a team that they're supposed to be. And I feel like that's always been, that's been like the theme this year is no one's necessarily safe from an upset. I don't even know if there are that many upsets because I feel like all the teams are very evenly matched. Um, Obviously as an alum and as a Florida Gator, I want to see my team win every single game that they play. Um, But that's not necessarily the case. Uh, You know, they're, they're pretty thin, I would say. And the biggest thing I I would just love to see from Florida um, in this back half of the season, especially within the SEC, um, it's just I would say a little bit more competitiveness, a little bit more fight um, with every at bat and with every inning that they are in. Um, They've had a lot of moments where they could, where they had the momentum and they could have come away from a win and their win loss schedule would have been um, a lot stronger right now. Uh, But it's just that it's like that 5%. I feel like they're missing when it comes away from taking that win. Um, At the end of the day, they have Skylar Wallace who basically puts the team on her back. She reminds me of an Amanda Lorenz and just figures out a way how to get it done. Um, And the team 
a hundred percent feeds off of that, but you just cannot rely on that one player. Uh, so I think, you know, we're still in 2023, but when you're asking me specifically about my Gators, uh, I'm excited to see how they might continue to build off of this year, maybe off of the, like the last two years, because, um, Anytime you feel like you're down, not just in softball, but as a person in general, general, you learn from those moments um, and you adapt to them and they make you better and they make you stronger. So I'm excited to see maybe what Florida will learn from uh, this year and last year. We're going to talk about Skylar Wallace in a minute. I'm glad you brought her up, but I wanted to circle back to something you said at the beginning of your answer, talking about how just softball is so different. You know, we we see a lot of comments and we track off the wall about people saying i've been a softball fan since 2000 and this has never happened before and my response is always well softball is better than it's ever been before you've got more good teams than there have ever been before when you talk about florida kind of moving back to the pack a little bit is that more about florida or just more about everybody else getting good players and just being better across the board yeah i feel like it's a mixture of two um and I'm going to date myself because when I played at Florida in the SEC, it was like 2007 to 2010, like 06, 07 was my freshman year. And not a lot of people knew or even thought about the SEC as a softball powerhouse school. Remember my sophomore year, 2008, we made it to the World Series and it was myself, it was a Florida and um, Alabama. And that was like one of, the, I think maybe the first or the second time that there were two SEC teams in the World Series um, maybe second, uh, but it was still like kind of unheard of and people were like, oh, well, the SEC doesn't matter. Like it's all about the pack, like SEC will still be second best. Um, and obviously that did not continue to be, we became a really big powerhouse school. And I always get upset when there is this rivalry about like the SEC and the pack, because I don't, I don't feel like there should be a rivalry. I think it should be a rejoice of the talent pool getting better every single year to where the best players didn't always have to go to the pack anymore. Like they could spread out to the SEC and to the Big 12. Um, and so to answer your question, uh, we're seeing that now in 2023. It's not just the Power Five um, conferences that boast the best talent. It is mid-majors coming in and coming up with some big upsets. So that talent level is getting better. Um, but I also, when I look at Florida... I would, and some, maybe some other schools that have historically always been pretty dominant. Um, and this is probably a, a questionable answer, but, you know, early recruiting, like early recruiting, I feel like was huge when you look like in the last five, six years and those players um, started to make different decisions. Maybe they didn't progress as well. And so you're starting to see some of those effects come into play. Um, so glad for the entire sport, honestly, that that's not, that's not an option anymore. Um, but I feel like that's an issue as well. But you weren't a fan of 12 year olds <laughs> committing. <laughs> I mean, I, I always thought that was crazy. I think it's, I think it was super crazy. And I feel like it, there needed to be a rule for it because at one point all, I mean, all the coaches knew like they don't want to be doing this, but there are others that are still doing it. So the question is like, do I not do it or do I try to do it so I can stay ahead for my program? I mean, thank goodness I'm not a coach, so I didn't have to deal with that type of uh, dilemma. Um, but yeah, I'm glad we're back into um, recruiting at the appropriate age. 
And I do want to talk about recruiting in just a little bit, because whatever you think, folks out there about Florida this year, next year's recruiting class is wild, but we'll touch on that in just a bit. Uh, Going back to this year, you mentioned Skylar Wallace, who truly is the straw that stirs the offensive drink for the Gators. But this season, it seems like she has stepped up to another level. I mean, we saw her here at Alabama. She was good. She's been good at Florida last year. She was great. This year, she's been superb, excellent, whatever word you want to use. What has made her improve so much each and every year that she's been playing college softball. Sorry for the heavy sigh because (laughs) there's just like every word that you would describe the top player on a top team is you, you tag that to Skylar Wallace. You know, she's just the difference maker. She steps up, she's clutch, right? Like all those things, you know, she's talented. She's someone that does not accept whatever her output is that day. She wants to always be better than what she delivered on in the last at bat or even yesterday's game. And it just comes down to her mentality, that grittiness, that decision that she makes in her head of my team needs this, I'm going to do it, period. That's it. There's not a lot of drama that goes on in her head. It's just what do I need to do in order to win for my team? Okay, I'm going to get it done. And she's able to execute. Those are things that, you know, as a broadcaster, we say all the time. And we probably say it all the time to at like at exhaustion where it does not penetrate as strongly as it should because the way Skylar Wallace is, the way someone like Fouts is, like those are the one percenters and they do not exist in this world. And they certainly get that percentage goes down even more when you look outside of the sport of softball and just look at like regular people. Um, There are not a lot of people that just say, what do you need me to do? All right, I'm going to get it done. And then actually succeed at that. So I feel like that's just been the biggest difference. I don't want to say difference for Skylar, um, but that is just where she is today. She has that talent that she's putting out there, but her mentality is so strong right now. And the will and the want is probably one of the best out there. Absolutely. And on the flip side, with pitching, the Florida pitching staff has been a little enigmatic this year. It's been kind of tough to figure out the rotation, you know, who who is pitching well right now. It, it's, it's tough to track what the Gators are doing in the circle. What does the staff need to do to get into a place where they look like they can make a run in the postseason? I mean, Florida is always going to be dangerous, but specifically with pitching, what do Trilicek, Delbray, and Hightower need to do to get to that place? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Pitching going into the season was already going to be questionable, um, and it's certainly still questionable. Um, and I'm hoping that since no one else knows what the rotation is, possibly that's like a little like what they have in their back, like their back pocket as um, something that might help them win games. But, you know, in the last two weeks, I think what we've seen is you're for sure going to see Elizabeth Hightower probably twice in the weekend. Um, Lexi Delbray came in as a, as a freshman last year with um, some really big shoes to fill a lot of pressure on her. And she ended that season with having to get two different surgeries and she did not come back like to 100%. She probably doesn't even think she's at 100% right now. So she's still recovering and is still trying to figure out her speed, her spin and her own persona um, in this floor in the Florida pitching staff. Um, So what does the pitching staff have to do? I think they're just going to have to be as competitive as possible every single pitch. 
They cannot leave pitches over the middle of the plate. Um, they have decent movement. They each have one good, strong pitch, but the way the offense or offenses are these days, if you only have one strong pitch, you can only get through a lineup one time through, and that's just not good enough. Right. So they're going to have to be able to not just have that one strong pitch be fire that day, but they need that second pitch to come through and that we haven't necessarily seen that that often from them. So at the same time, it's backing each other up. Like how long can someone like Hightower go without giving up a big hit? Because she does tend to do that at times. Um, and then when can you bring in someone like Riley Trilicek to help silence maybe some of the momentum that the other team has already created? You know that opposing team is going to score runs off of that pitching staff. It just is what it is. So your offense has to possibly has to outmatch the uh, opposing offense to help keep that confidence of their pitchers in the circle. Um, and at the end of the day, they need they need a number two. They need a Del Bray, they need a Bender, they need a, a Giganti to come in and try to help bring some of that relief and pressure off of um, Hightower. The thing is, though, about Hightower is she is a gamer. She is that workhorse. She wants to be in the circle. She can eat up as many innings and as many pitches as possible. Like, that's okay for her. But if we're talking about Florida winning, she needs some more support. Mm -hmm. And it's... It's just weird to watch these Florida scores roll in, to watch these games, and, and to see the amount of runs being given up. Like you said, I mean, last year ended the streak of so many All-American pitchers in a row for Florida. But, I mean, it, it's just – it's such an odd look this season with that pitching staff. I mean, 13 runs to South Carolina, seven in game three against Auburn. We've seen big numbers given up this year, and that's just not normal at Florida. No, not 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 typically, but – you know, at the same time, I do want to say like the off like offenses are getting so much better. So like seeing set like seeing an Auburn score seven runs against um a pitcher that doesn't get a lot of innings. Yeah, like that honestly does not surprise me. That offense is really, really good. Um, South Carolina's offense is really, really good. Um, but you know, one thing that I forgot to mention is like the, the walks that Florida staff gives up is quite it's quite a lot, and they lose batters um easily. And the moment that happens, I mean, ever I swear, every single time they walk a batter, then uh, that run always ends up scoring. I don't know why that is, but it is. Uh, and historically, Florida as a freshman pitcher would come in and they would already have two All-Americans, uh, upperclassmen on staff, like a senior and a junior. So they would maybe come in like with the number one uh, freshman pitcher, right? But they wouldn't get a lot of starts. Like you look at someone like Lily Acasio, Delaney Gorley, um, even Barnhill. Like when you look at the innings pitch that they had their freshman year, were very, very low because they had these upperclassmen that were all American. So that the pitching or the coaching staff for Florida was able to slowly get those youngsters acclimated to college softball and to the SEC without having to put too much pressure on them. Well, now you look at Florida's pitching staff today and they don't necessarily have that all American depth. So you're forcing these younger pitchers to be more uncomfortable and to do something that's really hard to do. And that's, you know, be like a freshman All-American uh, pitcher uh, or be like a sophomore. It's, it's really tough um, to be that young as a pitcher and to be that effective. Not everyone can be like a Fouts. Uh, so um, they just don't have that depth and the support that they normally have seen in the past. That being said, 
you know, we referenced it earlier. The recruiting class next year is absurd for Florida. And I'm not even super in tune to recruiting. And I've been hearing about this class for a year now in preparation of what could be a big 2024 for the Florida Gators. So whatever you think about Florida this year, Florida, we know, is going to be right back up there in the SEC with all that young talent coming in next season. I mean, you hope. Right. The, the, the numbers state it, uh, the data uh, states it too. Um, I'm an, I'm a show me what you got kind of a girl. So I'm happy to see on paper that they're supposed to go back to let's say that dominance, but, um, as a hitter in the sec, as a former hitter in the sec, especially when I became like a sophomore, junior and senior, and I was going up against uh, any freshman pitcher in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's a freshman pitcher. She's going to make a mistake and I'm going to capitalize. Watch out, like watch this. Like I would always have that mentality because young pitchers make mistakes, not saying that uh, you cannot be a great freshman pitcher. You a thousand percent can, um, but it's definitely a mindset that veterans have. And so you can't, again, you just can't have that one pitcher. You need to have two, you need to have three and you need to understand now you need to understand how you're going to manipulate every single one of those pitcher strengths and who your offense is going up against. So um, I'm happy to see that uh, they do have a strong class coming in, um, but I want to see what, uh, what these freshmen are made of. We are stealing second with Francesca Enea, the Florida All-American, and I want to pivot to Auburn. You were just talking about the Tigers. You saw them this past weekend. Uh, quietly, Auburn is sitting in a really fantastic position in the SEC standings. couple losses here and there this weekend. They could move up to second or third in the conference. Maddie Pinta has been throwing as well as she has throughout her entire career uh, this season. What have you seen from the Tigers, not only last weekend, but also this entire season that tells you that they could be truly legit? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly comes down to Penta. Uh, I have not seen a pitcher throw that hard and then be able to back it up with a devastating changeup and then that off-speed drop. I mean, that was just, that was wild to see in person. Um, I, I wanted to go stand in against her just so I could see the movement like up close and personal. Uh, and personal. Um, but, you know, the, Auburn, especially with a coach like Mickey Dean, you're, you know you're always going to have strong pitching talent. They're going to know their mechanics. They're, they understand how to get hitters out very mentally strong, but now you're backing it up with a really strong offense as, as well. Seeing Peralta hit those two home runs back to back. Her swing is so gorgeous. And every single one of those Auburn hitters, not just gorgeous swings, but their approach, their aggressiveness, the tenacity that stood out to me the most and you know going into that weekend series against Auburn versus Florida I kind of thought Auburn might sweep Florida just based off of just based off of the numbers but then you come out of it and Florida takes two out of three which kind of goes to my point earlier is you really don't know what's going to happen um and I, I think Auburn is probably the most talented team that they've had in the last few years. And I'm excited to see how they're able to put all that talent together and how far they go, right? Because they have the talent. And I saw that that want, that 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 want to be hosting a super regional. So it's going to come down to will they able, will they be able to execute and bring it all together? Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the hosting aspect of it. Right now, the math doesn't totally work for Auburn to maybe host a regional. If they're a two seed, good Lord, batten down the hatches when Maddie Pinta's in the circle facing your team. 
I mean, that's the scariest thing like about all, I, I, I mean, I feel like the scariest thing about where all these rankings are right now is that you might have a team ranked 13th, but at the same time, I think there are like, could be seven teams that could be ranked in that spot. Um, so, you know, historically you go to a regional, if you're the top seed team, you should win, you should beat out, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Oh man, I feel so bad for whatever team has to host Maddie Penta if that is the case. <laughs> I want to pick your brain about Missouri as well, another team that we've both seen in person. I don't know if you think this, but I feel like Missouri is not the worst team in the SEC, despite what the standings may say. Just for whatever reason, they're not winning right now. What seems to be the disconnect in your eyes between the talent that the Tigers have versus the results that they're actually getting? You know, that's such a great question because when I saw Missouri play against Florida, um, I thought that they should have came away with the series win. I, I thought that they were um, on the field. They played better than Florida. Um, they have a strong pitching staff. They have the offense. They have the strong coaching. Um, so their numbers are definitely not matching up to what their talent is. And typically, you know, when we see that there's something that is missing whether it is in the brain, in the heart, in the team chemistry. Uh, and so I think a lot of times when teams have the proper puzzle pieces, but they're struggling to put it all together, back half of the season, it's going to come down to heart. And it has to come down to figuring out what is it that's missing that's not allowing us to get those, those last minute wins that we need. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in the, the coach's locker room or the locker room with them. So I, you know, I can't say what it is that they need to do, but they have the talent, they have, um, the coaching staff to back them up. So it's going to come down to them, their insights to determine who do, how do we want 2023 to finish out and what do we need to do to bring us tighter or to be as a tighter unit to win more games. Yeah, and they've got Ole Miss this weekend, which seems like a good opportunity to kind of right the ship. But, I mean, looking at the overall record, you know, at this point, the only thing that's going to keep an SEC team at the NCAA tournament is finishing below 500. But right now, Missouri is not in the best overall record position if they can't win some of these SEC series. And that just baffles me after watching them run rule Alabama a couple weekends ago. I mean, there's still some, there's still, I feel like this is one of the lucky things that, that SEC teams have is that they still have so many opportunities to make a point. Uh, still a ton of SEC play left. And don't forget you have the SEC conference tournament um, where some teams can go in there and they're, they might, they're a bubble team and they go in there with they, Hey, we need to win or else we're not going to get into the tournament or we're not going to host. And if you lay out what the goal is, a lot of the times with teams that have that type of talent, like that caliber of talent, they're going to flip that switch and say, all right, like it's go time. Like I'm going to show up. I mean, what year was it? 2019. I think Florida was like on the cusp of not being able to, of not hosting a super regional, but then they came in and they won the conference tournament upsetting uh, Alabama and that boom, there they are. They're able to host because of that uh, weekend performance. So uh SEC teams are lucky in that sense of there's still a lot of weekends to show the committee, hey, we're here and we deserve this. Speaking of showing the committee, oh, it's a perfect segue. Thank you for teaming me up, Fran. <laughs> the top two teams in the SEC this weekend go on the road, and one of them is coming to Gainesville. It's the Georgia Bulldogs, who 
I don't want to say came out of nowhere. You know, a lot of us thought they would be good. They were experienced. They've had the same starting lineup, it feels like, for the last three years. But I'm not sure anybody expected them to be middle of the top 10, top two in the SEC at this point in the season. How do you see this series, considering all you've also said about Florida, shaking out between the Gators and the Dogs? So I, I got to cover Georgia three years ago or two years ago in a regional, two years ago, because it was um, the first season back after COVID. And I was calling this, I was calling the regional at home. It was the Duke regional, but it was hosted at Georgia. Um, so I had a lot of intel, got to talk with coach Tony Baldwin um, at the time, coach uh, Lee Chamber too. Uh, so I remember one thing that Tony said was, we have a very young team, like seven of our starters are freshmen and we're extremely talented. What's been frustrating this season is watching our, our, our players make freshman mistakes, make these young mistakes. And about every single one of our SEC series could have gone either way if we just didn't make that mistake. And if it went our way, then boom, you know, we're sitting up a lot higher and people think that we're not as down as they believe us to be. And I remember that sticking with me, it, looking at their 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 uh, their win-loss right now and where they're sitting and thinking, huh, Coach Baldwin was right. He knew that talented that team was two years ago. He just needed to develop them just a little bit more. And again, it's not necessarily about developing that strong talent. It's just teaching these players how to compete collegiately and how to compete in the SEC. Um, so you take that and you grow this strong talent, but then also add in uh, some really good pitchers in the circle with being able to pick up Shelby Walters, able to see Kerpix really come on strong in her young campaign. Uh, campaign. And then you also bring in um uh, JT D'Amico the, the defensive gem and you're seeing uh Georgia's defense shining like it's never shined before uh historically I remember when I would play against Georgia and then after I graduated watching Florida play against Georgia and if they were down I would think to myself oh they're gonna make an error and that's and we're gonna come back because that's just what they did they don't do that anymore so Going into this season, maybe there wasn't a huge highlight on Georgia, but if you watched how good they were two years ago, um, you were probably thinking, heck, this is where we can show up, show out, especially knowing that they got Walters in the circle. I like that you brought up the defense. I can remember many times on the radio side talking about Georgia errors and trying to describe the indescribable. Like they would do the most baffling things in the field. And that's not a thing anymore. JT D'Amico's done such a great job turning that around. And I think people forget how important that aspect of this sport is. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence going back to Florida that this is probably one of the weaker defensive years they've had in a long time. And we've seen the results maybe mirror that. I mean, defense is kind of the forgotten aspect of this game that's so crucial. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know this saying gets played and overused, but defense does win championships. Um, I always go back to uh, the World Series 2009 for me in the championship series against uh, Washington. And Jen Saline was playing shortstop. And that girl was just making plays like no other. And I'm not talking about like these consistent phenomenal plays. I'm talking about, oh, this is a for sure base hit up the middle that's about to score a run. But Jen Saline is actually somehow behind second place throwing me out at first base. Like defense 100% wins championships. And if you cannot make 
the clean plays when the pressure is on you, you're not going to go that far. Um, but one thing I do want to say is because we are, and you brought it up, so I'm going to say it. Uh, yes, we're not used to seeing Florida's uh, defense struggle as much as we are, but they are currently tied at the same fielding percentage as Georgia. So just saying, just saying. There you go. <laughs> See, I, and trust me, I get it too. I've seen Alabama make defensive mistakes. Where I was like, really? That's what we're doing? Okay, fine. Um, the other SEC team at the top of standings on the road this weekend is Tennessee at Kentucky. And as we both know, and everybody knows, weird things happen in Lexington, but Kentucky might have Stephanie Schoonover. I don't know. We'll see. This feels like a series that, that could be kind of up in the air. Maybe the, the biggest known in this weekend is that Aaron Koffel is really dang good and might be the SEC player of the year front runner right now. But do you see a world where Kentucky can win this series against the Lady Vols? I do. You know, I never back out or um, I never back out from someone like Coach Lawson. She is so smart, so prepared, very studious, and just understands how to win a game, right? From paper, understands how to win a game. She has like great talent. She has players who know how to step up when they need to get that big hit. Um, and I also feel like coming off of last weekend for Tennessee of losing against Baylor, like I, I are they going to be able to step up and have that like, oh, okay, chip on our shoulder. People think we're down, watch us. Or are they going to be like just walking in thinking like, okay, we had a bad weekend, but we're fine. We're okay. You can't have that type of mentality when you go into an SEC weekend, especially uh, when you're on the road. That stadium is going to be very loud. Uh, they have a lot of fans that support softball, uh, so they will not be friendly to Tennessee. Um, so I, I would be, I would not be surprised if if uh, Kentucky came away with a series win. All right. Last thing, Francesca and A.S. stealing second with us here on the Out of the Box podcast. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's winning the SEC regular season title this year? Is it Tennessee or Georgia, or is somebody else about to swoop in and shock everybody? What a question. Uh, I know. I always like play Switzerland on these types of questions. Because <laughs> That's the smart way to answer it. <laughs> because like you, like when it comes to championships, like literally any team can, I feel like has an opportunity to make a case for themselves and win. And you will, we always end up getting surprised, but I'm going to go with Georgia. Wow. I kind of like that. I'm moving towards that. And I picked Tennessee to win the league in the preseason, but I I think I'm moving towards the dogs, which is yeah. not what I expected. I mean, I'm a big I am a big Tennessee fan. I love that they have, you know, their strong pitching staff. I want it badly for Rogers as well. I flip and love Malloy. Like I could watch her play all day, every day. But there's just something about Georgia that feels extremely complete. Um, and you, you can't count out that you have JT D'Amico on that staff that knows what it takes as a coach to win a national championship. Yeah. And when we were pinpointing Georgia in the preseason, everybody was circling two weekends in conference play, the back-to-back -back at Arkansas and at Florida. They won the series at Arkansas. If they win the series in Gainesville, that back half of the schedule is not the worst for yeah. the Bulldogs. I, I, I know I'm going to upset a lot of people when I say this, but, um, you know, in the last six years, Georgia's done pretty well against Florida at Florida. You know, I think they, what is it? They upset Florida twice um, in like super regional play at Florida. Um, 
So I, I get nervous anytime Georgia is heading to Gainesville. And I say nervous because obviously I played up Florida and I always want my team to win, but I, I just, I don't, I don't ever feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be a fun series. We, all of us, Tom, even though he's not here, me and all the listeners can't wait to watch it. And, and Fran, we're so excited that you could join us here on the Out of the Box podcast. You were always a delight. It was great to meet you at regionals last year. It was great to do this. And hopefully our paths cross real soon. They certainly better. Thank you so much for having me on and for adjusting the schedule uh, so I can make it. So sorry, Tom. <laughs> So there's our girlfriend, Francesca Anea. Tom has magically appeared. Hello. Welcome back, Tom. Good job. Enjoyed the interview. Yes, thank you. Yeah, a lot of fun with Fran. We had a blast. And now we get to talk about all of the words that we just discussed with Francesca Anea, but in a bracket packet, mm. if you will. Yes. Where actually is Florida amongst the possible 16 seeds? Well, we'll see. But if there was a window, they'd be on the other side of it. I think I agree with you. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but you know what? Y'all should just stick around and find out when we come back. When we return, we'll round third. Bracketology, big games this weekend, all that fun stuff. That's next here on the Other Box Podcast. We have returned. It is time. I shall once again... Reveal myself to the world. We're rounding whoa, third. Whoa, whoa. Hey, we're rounding third here on the Out of the Box podcast. Reveal my heart uh, and my brain. Nothing else, Tom. A family podcast. I know. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We're off to a hot start. It's time for Bracketology. Tom, I tease this on Twitter. Before I read the list, I wanted to showcase a comparison from the last couple years bracketology wise. So I, I went and I wanted to see how much movement actually is there from the 16, from the 20 that I have listed at this point in the season to the end. Okay. So I went and I looked and I pulled up my bracketology. This is why I save everything from April 11th, 2022 and compared them to the final seedings and also April 13th, 2021 and the final seedings there as well. In both years, how many of the top 16s that I had on those bracketology dates stayed in the top 16 for the NCAA tournament? Both times, 14 out of 16. Okay. How many top eight stayed the same? Last year, six of eight. 2021, five of eight. How many of the nine through 16 moved from the bottom to the top and became top eights? Both years, three out of eight which is really fascinating. What that tells you is based on this list, based on the math that we have, a small sample size, but still, it's not hard to think that 14 of these 16 that I've got listed here are going to be hosting a regional, and at least five of the top eight are essentially locks to host a super. And there might be a team or two that bounces out. There were a couple that I struggled with ranking this week, but all in all, like it feels like a lot of work and a lot of movement each week that I do this, but truly the 16 teams kind of remain the same once we get to the end. Yeah, the, the biggest story or question might end up being who are going to be those three seeds that are or those three teams that are currently seeded from nine to 16. They're going to move up to the top eight. Yeah. And again, that's another thing. If you're sitting there like, my gosh, Gray has had us in 12 and 11 and 14 the whole time. I mean, there's a lot of precedent for moving up. And what's interesting 
is as I was going back, a lot of the teams that I missed on that did fall out were teams that at the time of the bracketology I had in the upper half, not necessarily fringe hosting teams. Right. So that shows you that it's more on the teams just not playing well, not necessarily the numbers. So it's an interesting way to look at it. Bottom line is, if I'm about to say your team's name in these 16, there's a very strong percentage chance that they will be one to 16 when we get to the selection show. It's almost like you know what you're doing. I mean, I do what I can. At this point, I feel like I've studied it enough, perhaps too much, to at least have some semblance of knowledge about what we're doing. Right. Shall I read the teams? Please. Okay. Here is this week's Bracketology, the third edition thus far this year. One seed, Oklahoma. Two seed, UCLA. Going out on a limb. Thank you. Three seed, Oklahoma State. Four, Florida State. Five, Stanford. Six, Tennessee. Seven, LSU. Eight, Duke. Nine, Washington. Ten, Georgia. Eleven, Clemson. Twelve, Arkansas. Thirteen, Alabama. 14, Texas, 15, Northwestern, and 16, Louisiana. First four out, Baylor, Central Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Oregon. So by this metric, here are your Supers matchups. Okay. One versus 16, Oklahoma, Louisiana. Uh, Okay, yeah, all right. Two, UCLA versus 15, Northwestern. Three, Oklahoma State versus 14, Texas. Four, Florida State versus 13, Alabama. (laughs) Five, Stanford versus 12, Arkansas. Six, Tennessee versus 11, Clemson. Seven, LSU versus 10, Georgia. Eight, Duke versus nine, Washington. You had a strong reaction there, Tom, to the thought of playing Florida State for the right to go to the Women's College World Series. I I don't want to go through the portal again. (laughs) Going back to to, to Tallahassee. We can relearn uh, how to circus. Though. That's true. That's true. Jump on the trapeze because, man, okay. Also, I know, like, that's just the way the seedings are going to end up falling. But, again, Oklahoma gets to play the the non-Power 5 team that's hosting. But, you know, when the number one seed, that's the way it should be, I guess. Yeah, and, I mean, we can start there if you want to. Yeah. Because I had a big internal battle between Louisiana and Baylor for that last spot. It was... Louisiana's overall metrics and some of the really good strength of schedule numbers. I mean, right now, an overall SOS of three, non-con SOS of two, but lacking some of the quality wins that you want to see versus Baylor, who's got a little bit more of the quality wins, SOSO at 55. Basically, it came down to overall strength of schedule versus the team that beat Oklahoma and beat Tennessee twice. And I sided with overall strength of schedule for now. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I don't think Louisiana is going to end up being a host. I think that they're going to fall out because the rest of Sunbelt play will drop their metrics enough to where that won't be able to just carry them in. But as it stands right now, I put Louisiana in just a hair ahead of Baylor. So how much does it maybe help and or hurt Duke and Clemson that they're not going to play in the regular season? I think it hurts Clemson way more. I mean, we've talked about it multiple weeks in a row now. The strength of schedule numbers are still bad. 64 overall, 113 non-conference. That makes the sweep loss to Florida State, which we didn't even really speak about on this podcast, almost 
a knife in the supers hosting heart of Clemson. Right now they're 11. I don't see a world where they can go up barring a good run in the ACC tournament that gives them a chance to maybe beat Florida State and Duke and somehow Virginia Tech after maybe they've already swept Virginia Tech in the regular season series. Like, it's hard to see Clemson rising higher than where I've got them right now just based on the metrics. They're the worst of anybody in the packet outside of, you know, Tennessee's got a tough non-con SOS, but the numbers for Clemson are so bad comparatively that it's hard to see them rising up and not playing Duke is just further hurting them. You got Alabama at 13. Is there still a path for them to be a top eight seed? I think so. I think so because it was pretty mushy after I got past Washington at nine and you know, I'll talk a little bit more about six through nine in just a moment, but it was really hard to order 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, Georgia, Clemson, Arkansas, Alabama, and Texas. And I used, you know, a couple mainly looking at quality wins when I was ordering that out. But you could put Alabama at 12 or 11 right now, and I wouldn't bat an eye. I put them at 13 just based on what I specifically value and what I feel like the committee has been valuing more of late. But there's totally a chance to move up to as high as 10 or 9 even this week. And then you look at after that top five, ironic, isn't it? Considering the math we talked about, I feel like that top five is pretty locked in mm. hosting supers, Tennessee, LSU, Duke, Washington are all in good spots, but not necessarily locks because LSU is lacking the number of quality wins. Tennessee strength of schedule is going to be a discussion. Duke, frankly, might not get the name brand respect yet because they're so new to the game. And Washington has a lot of good, but nothing great on the profile. And so if any of those teams falter down the stretch, you've got a great profile in Georgia that's waiting to pounce. And Alabama's got enough good on the sheet that if they sweep Mississippi State, win the LSU and Auburn series, and even just win the Ole Miss series, that could be enough to get you into that seven or eight spot. And Alabama right now, three and two against the top eight seeds that you have right now with three games left to play in the regular season against LSU and then possibly another couple matchups with a couple of them in the conference tournament. So I think there's, there's still a lot of quality wins to be had for the Crimson Tide. Yeah. Again, I think the most important thing for Alabama, and I think we said this last week is avoiding the bad. So Mississippi state this weekend would be quantified as a bad conference loss. They're one of the bottom two teams in the conference in the RPI right now coming in at 46. You lose that series. Top eight is probably dead. Uh, you lose both games to Marshall and Liberty. Top eight is probably dead. You lose one game, probably not that bad in either case. Right. But, you know, it's avoiding those yeah. big resume mistakes right now That that is the key for the Crimson Tide. Like I said earlier, I think Alabama needs to win all four of the series they have left and then probably go no worse than five and one against Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Yeah. If that happens, you're in a spot. You're yeah. in a real legit spot to be a top eight. Also kind of depending on the SEC tournament, because as we've seen many times over the years, Very sometimes important. it's the most important thing in the world. Sometimes the committee doesn't care. Right. It depends on how they feel. Would a series victory when it happened, when they're going to play Bedlam, would a series victory for Oklahoma State, how far would that move them up? Is there a scenario where Oklahoma is not the number one seed? I don't think so. Yeah. Oklahoma's beaten everybody. I was joking about it earlier, but not really. <laughs> Quality wins. 
UCLA, two in the RPI. Stanford, four. LSU, five. Florida State, six. Duke, seven. I mean, you can roll through the top 25, and they've beaten like 12 of those teams, Mm -hmm. whether it be one time or multiple times. So OU is just racking up the quality wins right now. I'm somehow amazed their SOS is just at 14. They're going to be the one seed. I mean, they could get swept by Oklahoma State, and I still think, considering where the Cowgirls are right now, that OU's done enough to pretty much lock up the top seed. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. For April 12th. Well, that's what we talked about, though. We talked about their schedule before the season started. You know, that any issues that they've had in previous years with seeding have been because their non-conference isn't always the toughest. Uh, they definitely took that off the table this year. Yeah. No issues at all. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? Um, what does Central Arkansas have to do? Okay. I was waiting... Let's go to the back of the packet. Central Arkansas. The Sugar Bears. Let's look at this profile here. 28 and 8 overall, 11 and 1 in conference play. Crisp, good. Mm, Yes. Currently 17th in the RPI, 26 strength of schedule, 19 non con SOS. Those are all great. I love everything there. Record versus the RPI top 10, 0 and 3. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. RPI top 25, 2 and 3. Okay. Mm -hmm. Solid. Uh, RPI top 53 and three fine mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. as high as others uh, but the problem is they're out of those games pretty much right. they've got a series with Liberty coming up who's right. just outside the top 40 and that's it I mean there are a couple bad losses here the best wins are good but not necessarily enough compared to everybody else as I said, you can only beat the teams that are on your schedule Central Arkansas for the most part has done that this year and even in the losses, competitive four run loss to Oklahoma State one run loss to LSU two run loss to LSU I just don't think there's going to be enough for them to Mm -hmm. host and it's a bummer because I would make the argument talent wise that Central Arkansas probably right now would deserve to be in my bracket 18 might be their ceiling barring a sweep of Liberty which would be beneficial to them and hurtful to other teams that we care about so I don't see a path for Central Arkansas to host, barring just complete collapses from some of the other teams that are just above them in my bracketology and in the RPI. And I will say this is another opportunity to get on the soapbox of seed 1 through 32, at least, if not 1 through 64, uh, regardless of geography, uh, because busting shouldn't factor in. If Central Arkansas doesn't make a top 16, they should be going to whoever is, say, the 15 or 16 seed, you know, not worrying about geography. If you send them to anyone in the top eight, I'm going to be yeah. incensed. 100%. Okay. Any other questions or are we good? I think we're good. Okay. Notice you didn't mention Florida. Florida not on the sheet. Do, do you want me to look at it real quick? We can. Sure. Okay. They're on the second to last page. The also rans. Yeah, they don't have a number next to them yeah. because I stopped looking at those pages. Wow. Four and six against the top 25, eight and 10 against the top 50. The best wins are Louisiana once at Arkansas, Auburn twice, UCF and at South Carolina one time. The best thing Florida has going for them is no real bad losses. Everything is in the top 50. The thing that has, has hurt Florida the most is that their losses, even if they're not necessarily bad losses, They've gotten blown out so many times, yeah. but that's not something that some of these metrics metrics look at. So right. 
uh, we'll see how much they're punished for that. Yeah. And again, you know, with more softball people on the committee who are maybe using eye tests a little bit more, hopefully, yeah. how will losing 10, nothing to UCLA and eight, nothing to Oregon and a lot of these blowout losses, how will that impact their seating? We'll see. Yeah. I'll say this though. And we talked about it with Fran, no matter where Florida goes, don't be like, eh, Florida's down. They're not going to make any noise. Uh-uh. We no. have seen this movie before, Tom. Yes. Imagine if they get sent to Clemson. Now that I'm in. That would be fun. Yes. Ooh. It'd be fun for everybody Ooh. else. Both Clemson and Florida. Wade. I might take Florida. Oh, boy. Mm. Okay. Just like, I think that's some of the fun parts of looking at, you know, some of these teams that are in the uh, 9 through 16 would be who the two would be. Uh, sent to them um, who barely misses out on being a, a host seed and gets to go on the road for regionals. Um, there, there can be some interesting matchups. Yeah. I mean, I think Texas A&M is a team that you don't want to see. They're probably going to go to Texas, Oregon. Where are they going to go? The pack schools are always tough to figure out because, you know, everywhere that they can bust to our yeah. conference teams. Right. So who knows? Utah, again, will be, you know, they're not in the conversation. Wichita State. Do you want to host Wichita State, Tom? I don't. Would not would not be a fan. Virginia Tech, if Emma Limley decides to stop giving up home runs, they're going to be dangerous. Their offense is still good. Yeah. So here's what's coming up this week in softball. Tonight, as we record, Louisiana and Texas A&M and Texas and Texas State. We are pulling up the scores as we speak. And currently, the fighting Texas Aggies lead the Cajuns one nothing. So that bracketology I just read might switch up <laughs> by the time this is released. Yes. Oh boy! And then Texas, although Louisiana just tied it up on a home run, there because you go. Of course, mm-hmm. Texas leads Texas State one nothing. Trying to get revenge for that Austin tournament, which feels like three years ago, but was actually just a month ago. Just a month ago, and I don't think the Bobcats have won a game since. It's not been great. <laughs> Let's just say that. They're not exactly on a winning streak. No. This weekend, Tom, a lot of good conference series. As usual, we will pick one. Let's see here. Looking at Friday, you mentioned Utah. Utah hosting Stanford this weekend. Yes. Stanford, a pretty much a lock for a top eight, but uh, trying to solidify um a chance to contend for the Pac-12 championship, and they'll have to beat Utah to do that. Where is Nazarie Kennedy? Is she ever going to throw again? I hope so. Now would be a great time to whip her out against Utah. Is she going to retire with a midseason boxy award? I mean, that .14 collegiate ERA would be pretty nice. Where is is she? (laughs) Good choice. I'm going to go with UCLA and Arizona. Tom, you remember last year? We were like, does Arizona deserve to be in the tournament? We're kind of getting to the same spot right now. The Wildcats are 42 in the RPI. The team sheet is bare. They've got a road win at Arkansas, a neutral site win over Virginia Tech. That's it for the top 25. They beat Indiana, Utah once, won a series of Arizona State. That's it for the top 50. Lost to Nebraska and Mississippi State. Yeah. This is um, not a good profile. No. So Arizona's got some chances. Right now, I don't think they'll be out of a tournament. But 
it's veering closer towards that territory they were in last year, which I'm sure nobody wants to relive. No. Barely just getting in the field. They want to relive what happened once they got into the tournament. Sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were deserving of their spot that they were given. Exactly. So here comes UCLA to town. Oh, so this that that'll cure all your ills. If you can get one, it might be a moot point. Right. But if you don't, we continue to have the conversation. We're not picking that series, so I'm going to say they're not going to get one. I don't think they will either. Yeah. Anyway, right. Saturday. Yes. <laughs> they lost today to Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, but Indiana hosting Nebraska, we talked about how, how much deeper the Big Ten was and we were expecting them to be. These are two of those teams that whoever wins this series is going to be one of those two seeds that you're not going to want to see. Indiana's offense has been so good all year, but they're in a little bit of a slump. Lost the series to Minnesota, like you said, lost to Notre Dame. Nebraska, just kind of hanging around in the Big Ten standing, so we'll see how that goes. I wanted to look at Baylor at Texas Tech. Texas Tech is better than their record, better than their RPI. They have challenged everybody that they've played. They gave OU a heck of a fight this past weekend. In comes Baylor off of a great weekend in Knoxville, off of a good win over the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Could it be time for them to crash to earth? And is this finally a chance for Texas Tech to get some quality wins and move into tournament discussion? Right now, Texas Tech's the team that everybody's saying, oh, they're good. They're not going to make the tournament because yeah. of where their RPI is. That could change this weekend, and it could also put a hefty dent into what Baylor is trying to accomplish as well. Yeah, because Baylor is right there in that hosting conversation as well. So if they if they aren't able to at least win the series against Texas Tech, they'll certainly hurt it. Uh, Sunday, interesting that Arkansas in their non-conference uh, weekend hosting the UAB Blazers. You know, not not having a tournament, maybe one of those situations where there were enough teams that were having a non-conference weekend at this late point in the season to be able to host a tournament. Uh, but just a regular old three-game series against UAB, uh, and we've seen UAB a couple times this year, and I don't think they're just going to roll over for Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, UAB has played Alabama tough. They played Florida tough, and Arkansas has kind of been meh of yeah. late. So, And interesting that UAB has played two just regular series three-game weekend series against SEC teams this year. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. Got to challenge you. you yeah. Know, get yourself ready. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's look at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. 10 a.m., Tom. Do you know what time, if we were on this game, we'd have to get to the stadium? Oh. That's 8 o'clock. Yes. Oklahoma at Miami, Ohio. Okay. <laughs> because I know when I'm hosting Oklahoma, I want to play him. At 10 a.m. in the morning. 10 a.m. On a Sunday. Santa's coming to town. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, no, instead it's Patty Gasso mm. and Tiari Jennings and Jada Coleman. Am I picking this game at all because I think Miami of Ohio is going to win? No, I don't. Uh, they've got some decent pitching, but it's not a very deep pitching staff. Carly Spade is my girl. Thought she should have been first-team All-American last year, but OU's going to win this game. I just wanted to pinpoint it because it is starting at 10 a.m., 10 a.m. Maybe they're just wanting, maybe Oklahoma sleeps through their alarms and they're hurrying to get there. That would be so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, probably not. Mm, I mean, it's the Sooners. I bet their alarms are like so perfect all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's what to watch this weekend. Also, you got a Monday game, Stanford at BYU. 
Okay. Should be fun. All right. Shall we head home? Sure. Okay. Let's get in the car, roll down the window, and get ready to make some picks. Jump in the car, provided by Tuscaloosa Ford. Yes. Oh, boy. We've got another lengthy one just around the corner, mm-hmm. Tom. Mm-hmm. But for now, we're just heading home here on the show, and I've got to find my way out of this big hole that I've dug for myself. We'll tell you what I mean when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back. Tom has got his bat. I've got my Sharpie. You've got your tunes and hopefully some way to listen to this without being distracted whilst on the road or doing other things. We're heading home here on the Out of the Box podcast. Tom is next to me. I am gray and I am sad because Tom has opened up a four point lead on me in picks. As you mentioned earlier, I'm wearing my Mudita shirt. You're not feeling the Mudita for me? Absolutely not. Oh. This is not a Mudita-friendly podcast. <laughs> when we talk about Alabama, sure. But in the competition between ourselves, absolutely mm. not. No, no. You're leading 16-12. to 12. Here's how we did. We both got LSU 2-1 and Kentucky 2-1. You correctly predicted Florida 2-1. And unfortunately, and this is kind of what turned the tide on the week, Alabama's game three loss to South Carolina gave you the tied 2-1 series pick over my Alabama sweep. I would rather you have won that one. Uh, Same. You know, yeah, but uh, but I will take it. Like I said, I just call them as I seize them. Okay, well, let's see how you seize them mm. this week. All right. We're going to start with Texas A&M as South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Two teams that we have named our most surprising team, according to the midseason boxes last week, who have picked up good wins in the last month, who have found some impressive pitching AM getting it from the whole staff south carolina donnie goborn has become a star you're up first who's winning this series in columbia south carolina as i mentioned south carolina lately you know in these in these two series that they played well in game three especially against alabama won the series against florida only put, only pitched donnie goborn once in game three i think moving forward for south carolina if they're wanting to win series they're going to need to pitch her twice. Um, how is she going to respond to that? If that is the case, is going to be the question. Uh, A&M hitting the ball extremely well right now. South Carolina playing as well as they have in a long time. I feel, though, fell into that trap a couple weeks ago and picked South Carolina, considering how well they were playing. Not going to do it this time. Mm. A&M 2-1. South Carolina continues the trend of winning the Donnie Goldborn game and losing the other two. Carolina 2-1. Wow. Give it to me. All right. I'm leaning into the weirdness. Have you seen the SEC standings, Tom? Have you? Very interesting. There is no rhyme or reason. No. Look at that. You've got 9-6, and 3-8, and and everything in between is like a half game from each other. Yeah. So that means people are losing games they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I think A&M is going to lose a game here that they shouldn't. And Donnie Goborn is going to pitch South Carolina to two victories this weekend. And if it's only one, then the nine others will find a way to scrap one across. I've got the Gamecocks 2-1. Okay. LSU at Auburn is up next. Mm. Again, Auburn, I think they missed their chance to 
really solidify themselves in the, and try to you know break out of that pack. They're part of the upper part of the mushy middle right now in the conference, losing the series to Florida. I, I think it kind of continues on because LSU is better than Florida, even at Auburn. I'm going to pick the I'm going to pick the LSU Tigers to beat the Auburn Tigers two games to one. I think they win. Uh, Maddie Benta wins a game, but that'll be it. I'm going to agree with you on this one. I was thinking about it, but my they can't beat Penta twice theory did not work no. last weekend. Because they could, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and I think LSU pitching as well as they did against Oklahoma is a really good sign going forward because they threw everybody except Kilponen. Right. So I also, I'm going to be honest, wasn't super impressed by the way Auburn approached the series with Florida, and if they try that with LSU, I don't think it'll work. So I think the LSU Tigers also win the series 2-1. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and you'll notice, folks, I've switched the order around a bit. That's because there are just two gigantic series in this league that we're going to close with before we pick Alabama. Yeah. Ole Miss at Missouri. Yeesh. Um, This is potentially a preview of the play-in game. (laughs) It's in Como. Yeah. In Como, I think it gives Missouri for sure the upper hand um, to win the series. I think the question is whether or not they're able to finish a sweep off of Ole Miss or not. I think they should, but I can't trust them enough to do it. So I'm going to say Missouri 2-1. Again, I'm with you. I was also thinking sweep. Yeah. This would have been a really easy sweep to pick if Stephanie Schoonover had pitched for Kentucky last weekend and the Ole Miss offense had done what they did. But because it was the everybody else's. Don't really know. Yeah. So we know Krings and Weber are going to give Missouri a shot. And if the Missouri offense can hit Caitlin Riley and the rest of his pitching staff, then I could see a sweep, but I just, I just don't know. So I'm going to go right. safe. And also Missouri, you know, they had that really good game one against LSU, but then kind of reverted back to what we've seen of them for right. most of the season in games two and three. And honestly, just going to be, just going to be real. Both of these teams are just five games over 500. Don't want to mess around. If you want to make the NCAA tournament. Right. Just being honest. Okay. The two big ones. Tennessee at Kentucky is where we start. First place, Tennessee, going to the land of enigmas with the biggest question mark maybe in the league this weekend. Where is Stephanie Schoonover? Is she healthy? Does it matter? We'll see. Tom, you're up first. Well, I think it does matter because we have seen Carla Pickett kind of come back down to earth. Mm -hmm. Um, She has not been the same since Alabama got to her uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so I, it's not as easy as, well, the Tennessee pitching staff is just going to shut him down. Peyton Gutschall has, has been good, but we've seen, especially in the conference teams get to her. Um, Ashley Rogers is, you know, has been dominant. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if this is the point of the season when, uh, Karen Weekly decides that it's time for Ashley Rogers to pitch twice in a weekend. If that is the case, I would be even more apt to say Tennessee might even win all three games. Oof. But I, I, I'm not 100% sure that's going to happen. Kentucky, I think, being at home, if, if they had Schoonover for sure, I'd pick Kentucky to win the series. But I, I can't do that. I'm going to say Tennessee 2-1. Lean into the weird. Do it. Kentucky 2-1. I'm good. I'm for it. Help us, Wildcats. Somebody. Rachel love. Lawson, give us your assistance. Stephanie Schoonover, if you are there, throw and throw well. We need Mr. Miyagi to do the, the hands together. Whatever, whatever it do. takes. 
I think the most fascinating matchup in this entire thing is the Tennessee pitching staff versus Aaron Koffel. We talked about it earlier. Ole Miss had literally zero interest in throwing a strike to Aaron Koffel last week. We saw unintentional walks, intentional walks, just plain walks that weren't close. Right. Tennessee is going to throw to Aaron Koffel. Do they make mistakes when they do that? Because if you do, Aaron Koffel will make you pay, especially if, say, a Kayla Kowalik or a Vanessa Nesby are on base. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be a lot to do with the people hitting behind Aaron Koffel to make them pay if they don't pitch to her. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I don't know. I'm just feeling it. You know, I'm trying to go with opposite of what my brain says with Kentucky. And thus far, it's been close. Yeah. The only time it didn't work was the Georgia series when we found out Stephanie Schoonover was hurt after we had made the picks. Yeah. So I'm still factoring that in. I also think that the rest of the Kentucky pitching staff throws stuff that we have seen Tennessee struggle with. It's true. Baylor, Texas A&M, Alabama, what did they struggle with? Off-speed stuff, you know, spin and all that goodness coming mm-hmm. out of the circle. I think that Kentucky's going to win this series and truly open up the SEC race once again. Sounds good to me. I'm fine with it. Yes. You know, Florida could do some teams some favors. They could. The Gators Including themselves. That's true. The Gators host Georgia this weekend in Gainesville. Thomas. I think we're going to get the help. Ooh. I think Florida at home, they've... Probably they've heard people, they've heard this podcast, they've heard other podcasts, they've heard other people talking. Florida, not not what they're supposed to be. This is when they start getting the turnaround going, and I think Florida wins two games to one. I'm going to pick Georgia 2-1 here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think think it's the safe bet. The Georgia offense against Florida pitching, why, why would I think that Florida is going to shut down that offense? The Georgia pitching, if they can keep up, this hot streak, I'm not sure what Florida can do offensively behind Skylar Wallace and Charlotte Eccles and Kendra Falby up at the top. Yeah. So I think it's the better bet, and I'm also kind of hedging a little bit here considering I just picked Kentucky to beat Tennessee. So I am taking Georgia 2-1. And should those play out, you've got two teams with four conference losses with a couple weekends to go. I think a lot of teams behind them will be okay with that. Yeah, because I think if you're – one of these other teams from Alabama on up in the conference standings, you're looking at what is the champion of this conference going to have in the loss column at the end. I think at worst it's seven. Right. Those people in the middle of the pack from Alabama up can't afford many losses. Right. Uh, and any possible help you get for people beating Tennessee, Georgia, uh, you're all for it. Well, Alabama avoid the losses this weekend. The tide goes to Starkville along with every living, breathing person who has ever owned Mississippi State memorabilia. Yes. Super Bulldog weekend. Mm-hmm. I will be absent on Friday, but back there on Saturday and Sunday. This can be a heck of a series, Tom, and now we get to pick it. Maroon, white, country music, it's all happening. Every sport that they that is sponsored by Mississippi State, I think, is playing. Pretty much. Including football, playing their spring game. Inexplicably. Yeah. Also football, Super which is Bulldog. not in season. Right, yes. Everything is in. I'm sure there's a soccer uh, exhibition going on. Oh, there's I'm sure the happening. Starkville Film Festival is <laughs> blocking out downtown. <laughs> is Dungeons & Dragons going to be shown? Chris Pine is coming to town. <laughs> So they'll premiere Super Mario Brothers and not know that it's been out for a couple of weeks. 
but that would be about right. All that is happening. Uh, Super Bowl dog weekend, Alabama going to uh, to Mississippi State. I'm going to say the same thing about Alabama. I've said the last few weeks they should be able to get a sweep here, but I can't pick it. I'm going to pick Alabama two one, just because there has been a game every weekend for the Crimson Tide where something has gone squirrely, whether it be just everything falling apart against Missouri, whether it being the offense just you know losing any sense of a plan for the second half of game number three against South Carolina. There's been things where you've done one thing good enough to win the game, but the other things just kind of go out the window and won the games. And you pitch really well. I, I think I'd be very, very shocked if Montana Faust doesn't have two wins on the weekend. Uh, it's just what's going to happen in that game number three. I'm going to pick the sweep good. again. Yeah. I mean, first off, I'm down four, and I have four differences this week. So I'm either about to really climb back in it yes. or screw myself even worse. You'll be either Brooks Kepka or John Rahm. We'll see what happens. Oh, dear. Please let me be John Rahm. <laughs> but I am picking the sweep for a couple reasons. A, I think that this sweep is almost not even about Alabama. I think it's about Mississippi State. Mississippi State has not played well. The offense currently is last in the SEC in batting average and oh you might say well maybe it's better in conference play it's not last in the league in conference play batting average okay what about era 12th out of 13 in the league in era and you even look at south carolina who's ranked below them at least south carolina has somebody you know that they can go to you look at mississippi state stats they're going to be five pitchers on the board because nobody has separated herself as the ace for the Bulldogs and we haven't really seen Alabama struggle in games offensively where you're facing kind of the everybody else's you know what I mean like yeah. we seem to see Alabama run into roadblocks when they're facing an ace or facing you know a, a one or a two who's gone really well really well but when you're facing kind of a collective staff Alabama's actually I think done a pretty good job making adjustments pitcher to pitcher like say against UAB and even you know in the second Missouri game especially in extra innings. Yeah. So I think that this pick is more about Mississippi State. Uh their offense is really tough to figure out. I've got like 13 people who are going to be above the line. They just don't seem settled on their lineups. And I think Montana like you said is going to win two games. I think Alabama is finally going to start to put together offensively. And also one last little piece of this. I have no idea about the ticketing situation for this weekend. But it's Super Bulldog weekend. Spring football is going on while we're playing. I think like 30 minutes after we're done, baseball plays Ole Miss. There are going to be a lot of people in Starkville, and I think a lot of people are going to be at the other stuff on Saturday in particular. There's going to be a lot of people walking by this park heading to wherever they're going. And I think that's going to give Alabama fans a chance to come in and scoop up seats yeah Uh, i could be totally wrong that could be a total misread and if so i will apologize to all but i think that this is not going to be the typical hostile road environment that we have seen alabama have to play in this year and if anything it could be a little bit friendlier than maybe any road game we've had this season well and that and that's not unusual for alabama that there are times where alabama fans it's easier for them them to get tickets to road games than it is to get home games if you're not if you're not a season ticket holder uh, and you just it's one of those games that everyone is actually using their season tickets, you know, maybe easier to get over to Sartville. And that's only an hour and a half drive. You can make it pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I expect there's going to be a lot of Alabama fans there. Um, so, yeah, it, it may not be quite the the hostile environment, like you said, like, like we've seen. 
So anyway, all that being said, Alabama sweeps. Good. I'm My fourth. pick. Yes. If that happens, I, I feel really good, not only about you know what they'll have done this past this weekend, but moving forward, if they finally kind of get over that hump and find a way to get that sweep. Well, and we haven't talked about it very much, but really, it's been the last game of all these series that has been such a struggle. Yeah. You know, Arkansas, that marathon on Monday night, Tennessee losing that one, Missouri, a run rule, South Carolina game three was kind of a disaster. So if Alabama can find a way to win game three, I feel like I'm going to be right. And that will give this team the confidence that they will need into what is an insane week next week with the trip up to Huntington against Marshall and Liberty and then Auburn. Good Lord, next weekend. I'm tired, Tom. But you know what will revitalize me? The anger, the disgust, Mm. and the annoyance from some of the people out there in the world who just don't understand. The the flat-out dumbassery. Mm. Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, here we go. Do you want to go first? Um, well, I want I want to hear one of yours. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> After the Samford game. Oh, good. Samford. Yes. I was a little ticked that Murph didn't put Montana in for the seventh inning. All those little girls there who idolize her would have been thrilled. They were thrilled just to see her warm up, but we do not make coaching decisions or pitching decisions at the University of Alabama in any sport based on the desires of the crowd. Yes. It is purely dependent on the athlete and the situation of the game, and I'm sure other things that coaches can probably explain to you. It's not, well, we got to give Montana a pitch just so that the people here can see her. No, No, you can watch her warm up or you can come to any of the other games. If you go to a conference series... Probably going to see your throw twice. <laughs> right. So get tickets there. Yeah. that's And also, had Montana Fouts come in and pitched in that game, you would have had just as many comments going the other way of, I can't believe Montana Fouts pitched against Samford. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen that happen before. I, it was very frustrating to me when I saw it. I was like, we truly cannot please yeah, these people. You cannot. It's impossible. And you know what? Those little girls, again, watch the video that was put out of the team signing autographs yeah. with, with so many children who were there. Although, it didn't matter no. if they got in the game or not. They were going to be thrilled either way. Those little girls, the fact that they were, I mean, they were right next to Montana Fouts as she was warming up, much closer than they would have been had she actually been in the game. So and That's like, true. So they actually got more interaction and more up close and personal being a spectator and seeing their idol just warming up as opposed to actually being in the game. So I think they might have actually had a better experience with what they got as opposed to what, what could have been. What do you have? Yeah. Um, again, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, but once again, Alabama cannot control the weather. There was someone who said, first of all, there's no way this person actually drove nine hours to watch <laughs> Alabama, South Carolina. 
Uh, but if you did, like, look at a weather report before you get in the car for that nine-hour trek. Uh, because, we had been preparing for yes, this for about a right. week and a half. And it's, it's not like they, we said, all right, is she, is she, has she driven seven hours, <laughs> eight hours, nine hours? All right, cancel. Now she's here. Cancel. That's <laughs> not how imagine? it works. That's not how it works. David Nieder actually has a chip <laughs> right. in everybody who buys a ticket and whoever is coming from the furthest <laughs> right. distance away. When that person is in the Tuscaloosa <laughs> zip code, we canceled the game. Right. That is when we make it start raining. <laughs> we press the button. Right, yes. Nathan Sheehan sends the message, and the game is called off. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I understand the frustration, because we were frustrated, too, because, you know, we got up to come to the game and, and be ready to go. Got all dressed up, yeah. put on my suit. Sure. And really, as I knock on wood, haven't had to deal with it a whole lot this year. Or the last couple of years. No. I mean, you think about it. There have been years where it seems like it's every weekend. That was honestly the last time, you know, last year we had the one Mississippi State game. Mm -hmm. 2021, we had the whole World Series debacle with Florida State. Yeah. But outside of that, the last three seasons, again, knocking on wood, we've been pretty good. Right. So just kind of the nature of the sport. So just, I understand being frustrated, but like trying to call out Alabama for canceling a game when it was... Like, there's no way you could play it. It was pouring down rain. Seems unnecessary. Agreed. The last thing that I want to get to is all of the people who don't understand what to complain about. We've talked about this at times. Mm -hmm. I, again, saw a nice case of the hire a hitting coach after Missouri. Sure. When offense wasn't the problem. And then for whatever reason, way too many comments talking about the pitching in the South Carolina loss. I'm like, why do we continually complain about the wrong thing right in our losses the pitch pitching was good pitching was fine right yes it was the offense in that game in the missouri game it was the pitching that struggled the offense was fine yeah you know sometimes it's neither sometimes it's the defense yeah but we've got to be a little bit smarter in our critiques sometimes i know this will shock you the other team just plays real good (gasps) that happens every once in a while is that allowed (laughs) apparently Wow, I am yeah. stunned. I didn't know uh, we permitted that in this country. <laughs> so, I mean, yes. Tip your cap every once in a while. Okay, this is kind of going back to uh, something that I've talked about now for almost two years is the perception about last year. Because there was a comment after, it was after the South Carolina loss of how disappointing it has been the last two years, quote unquote. Last year, Alabama was the number six seed nationally going into the NCAA tournament. It had a bad last three or four weeks of the season, obviously. Yeah. And had a bad NCAA tournament. The whole season wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. The whole season wasn't disappointing. You just had a bad end to it. Sure. So I, I just I think that there is a just a, this general thought about how Alabama's been on this huge steady decline for now multiple seasons when that's just not the case. You you've had you had a bad you know a bad end to last season. This year, there's been some ups and downs, but for as many ups and downs as there's been, you have Montana Fouts, who is now in the running and has won multiple SEC Pitcher of the Weeks, may may end up winning it overall again. Alabama is in you know in really good shape to host a regional, if not possibly be a top eight host if things continue to go well for the Tide. This season is not a disappointment. 
we'll see how it ends. But as it stands right now, I don't think you can be saying, well, what, what a terrible season it's been for Alabama. Yeah, there have been bad days. Sure. It has not been a bad season. No. I mean, again, it goes right back to what we were talking about with Francesca and Aya earlier. It's like softball is different. You know, if you have been a softball fan since 2000 or since 1997 or whatever, or the one guy who said 1972, which is irrelevant because softball didn't exist for another 25 years. Right. Okay, awesome. Softball is not the same since then. It's not even the same as it was when I started doing the play-by-play in 2015. Same. My first year with you sweeping arkansas was easy it was almost a foregone conclusion right there is no such thing as an easy sweep in the sec now no or honestly exactly in most conferences and if you're watching these games with that 2000 2005 2010 2015 mindset you're behind the sport is different everybody is better because there are more good people out there. And then a lot of good people get in the portal and decide to be good somewhere else. And right. everything is all up in flux. Because I, I think when you look at, and when you're saying that, I think you take Oklahoma just out of the conversation. Yeah. Because what they've done, you know, they've established what they are and they're getting all the best people out of the portal too. So they, they are kind of on a different level than everybody else. But from two down, it is as wide open as it's ever been. Yeah, and Oklahoma's gettable. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, they only had two hits against LSU. Exactly. They just took advantage of the one error by the Tigers. They're gettable. So, so yeah. it's not like OU is about to run roughshod. I, I think, yeah. you know, at the risk of being attacked by Sooners, I think it's quite clear that they're not as good as they were last year. And I don't really think there's much of a discussion. They might still win the national championship. Yeah. They're still the favorite to win the national For championship. For sure. I don't think they're as good as they were last year, which makes it by default, a more wide open tournament than it was a season yeah. ago. And if they don't get everybody of their best possible matchups in the NCAA tournament knocked out before they get to play them, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I just, I was saying, you know, if you're expecting your program to be Oklahoma, it's going to be really, really tough right now. Cause where, cause and it doesn't have. happen overnight. No, it doesn't. Th- this happen. has been something OU has been building right. for a long time. And I think when they come to the SEC, there's going to be, you know, the curve's going to get flattened. Yeah, I mean, I they could still very much win the league. Sure. They're not going to run rule everybody. No. Or they're not even, I don't think they're going to shut out everybody. No, they're, I mean, we're, like you just said, the, the winner of the SEC this year will probably have seven to eight losses. When Texas and Oklahoma come in, I still think the winner of the conference will have five or six. And even if that is Oklahoma, you know, because yeah. they're, they're going to have to play somebody every weekend that can beat them mm-hmm. if they don't play well they'll have to do that at arkansas at florida back to back that georgia right. is doing and how do you go undefeated in that It'd be very very difficult okay that's off the wall here's what's coming up next week speaking of off the wall oh lord terry back it up put it reverse no podcast <gasps> i know no. well never- when would we do it people I've never been to West Virginia, but it's not close. No, it's not. It's not far, far, but it's not around the corner. Well, we're going to give Mountain Mama a call. Sure. Here's our schedule, just to put it in perspective for you. Yeah. Uh, Monday, we will leave, I think, a little bit earlier than normal to go to Grayson, Kentucky, and Huntington, West Virginia. Tuesday. Taking a look at that Kentucky gold. Yes, indeed. West Virginia, Kentucky gold. Pour me some Whiskey Myers, Tom. (laughs) Tuesday. A game at noon and 2.30. 
And then due to the nature of the travel, we will not be driving back Tuesday because at best our games are done by five. Yeah. It's nine hours. Oh, Lord. I'm too old to be getting home at 4 a.m. I'm sorry. I mean, I've done that once. It was about four years ago. Driving back from D.C. Don't encourage it. No, thank you. So we were coming back on Wednesday. Yeah. And probably, I'm just going to assume we're going to be pretty tired because we're going to be waking up Monday. We're going to be waking up Tuesday. I'm not making us leave Wednesday at 7 a.m. Thank you. So we're probably going to leave at like 10 or 11. We might go get some breakfast in Huntington. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Get back late Wednesday night. Well, Thursday, we got to prep for a series with Auburn. And then we play Auburn on Friday. Yeah. There's no time for a podcast in there. Mm, Sorry. We will, however, do a space on Tuesday after the Liberty and Marshall games. No matter the results, no matter the schedule, time TBD, depending on when those games end. But we're not going to have anywhere to go, Tom. So we're going to do a space. Okay. Our first of the year. All right. So I'm in. Out of the box, going home after the Montana Fouts parade will be Tuesday, April 18th, somewhere on Twitter at OutOfTheBox underscore pod. We saw, like we mentioned, them hanging from the rafters at Samford on Tuesday. Official capacity is 300 at the Samford softball field. There were over 700 seats sold. <laughs> so, but that was in Birmingham. I can't imagine what the atmosphere and what the scene is going to be in Huntington for Montana Fouts homecoming with Liberty and Marshall. Didn't they sell out in like 20 minutes? I'm sure. It was it was something stupid. Yeah, I don't know what the facilities capacity is there, but whatever it is, double to triple it. And that's how many people is going to be there. Can't wait. And again, we will do a space after that second game against Marshall, which is currently slated for a 2.30 p.m. Central Time start. Knowing our luck, probably a little bit after that. <laughs> and by the way, the best Marshall team in decades. <laughs> yes, of course. And all of that, from Huntington to Starkville, it'll all be broadcast, Tom, on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Again, you are riding solo, Mm. as Jason Derulo once said, (laughs) on Friday. But then we're back together Saturday and Sunday in Starkville. And, of course, we're going to be making that John up to Huntington. Yes. And I'm not driving that if I'm not calling a game. So we're going to be on that together as well. Yes. Where can the people tune in? Uh, but first of all, thank you to Kaylee Tao for joining me for the doubleheader on wasn't Saturday. She, wasn't it was, fun? It was so fun. She, she does a great job. I think she did some quality analyzing of that South Carolina week uh, doubleheader. Well, and if I may just tease a little bit as well, you know, all this information, keep it for the Auburn series because that is alumni weekend. And as usual on alumni weekend, we're going to have some alums pop in back with us sure. in the booth for an inning or two, or mm-hmm. depending on what happens in that inning, maybe longer, Yeah, you know, luck and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned to that. We're going to have some familiar Alabama faces swing by the radio booth and hang out with us. For sure. Uh, but you can hear all that on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And if you're in Tuscaloosa listening over the air on the radio, 97.5 FM, nick975.com online, as well as the MeTV 975 app as well as the varsity app we got it all there Woo! yes very easy to find us just press the button just Look, press the button. watch tom i'm gonna do it right here live on the podcast wow that was from this schedule page on rolltide.com and look there it was yes yes we're there it's fine you just press the play and it's great okay mm-hmm very easy. Of course, we'll also tweet all of this from our various Twitters, the show's account, at OutOfTheBox underscore pod. T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. Yes. And make sure on Friday, if you usually go to me, you look for Tom. 
because I might retweet a couple things, but I'm not going to be taking my field pick because again, I won't be there. Right. So Tom will tweet out everything as will the podcast. I'm at gray underscore Robertson. I will do my best to help relay the information if you don't see Tom's of the podcast. So we'll be working in tandem. But literally at this point, if you're not seeing it, why? I don't know. I'm just trying to be helpful. <laughs> Which but I like, it. don't be a dumbass. Come just on. figure it out. Right. It's not hard. So many different ways. Oh, man. Are you ready for cowbell? <sighs> Are you ready for Lil Dewey's? Yes. That I'm more worried. That's what I'm more ready I, for. I am... You, you have an interesting dilemma on your hands as well about which meal to eat when I'm gone. Yeah. Because Lil Dewey's is one we have both been to. I've been to many times in my life. But if I don't eat it, it's not eligible for my Tom's Hungry. Oh, that's true. So it's yeah. an interesting dilemma that you and SID Extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan have to figure out. Yeah. So. It's just like all name team. If I don't eat there, it can't be a part of my Tom's Hungry. That's true. It also helps that we're playing a little bit earlier on each day so that mm-hmm. a post-game meal is a possibility, I think, on all three days. Saturday might just be a wash because everything is just going to be totally It overrun. might just be get out while you can. Right. So we'll see. Pray your game does not end at about the same time <laughs> as football. Oh, man. Because there, it's, I mean, that's obviously going to be a, a huge spring game, whatever that's called, at Mississippi State with the new head coach and still honoring Mike Leach and all that stuff. So yeah. there's, it's going to be... A crazy, crazy weekend. Hopefully the weather is really good and a lot of fun to go down there and win if you're Alabama. Absolutely. And we will be there as well, all the ready to watch Alabama, to watch all these wonderful series that we're going to have this weekend. And when you get there, you'll actually be able to now check off every uh, stadium in the conference. This is the last one. Yeah. Almost. (laughs) Oh, News Park. Who knew that it would be the one that would elude me the most? (laughs) Even though it's the closest. Right. Other than Road Stadium, it's the closest. But it's the only one you haven't been to. Records are meant to be broken. There you go. Thank you to Francesca and Aya for joining us on this episode. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Again, make sure you tune in to Tom on Friday and to both of us the rest of the weekend. And I think from then on, the rest of the season on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the softball. We'll see you next time on the Outbox Podcast.